This is Free Talk Live. It is the Friday edition. As we kick off hour number one, you can take control of the airwaves. Just bring up whatever's on your mind. Toll free, 800-259-9231. That is the Packet 8 toll-free line. That's 1-800-259-9231. It's Ian here with you. And Mark. And you can join us on our website, freetalklive.com, the place to go. All of the features are on the house, totally free. freetalklive.com as we start things out with your calls. Since this is the show about your calls, let's talk to Zach in South Carolina on the amplifier line. Hello, Zach. Yeah, I have some good news about Tuesday's elections here in South Carolina. Good news. All right. Um, we only had one libertarian running um, in a, the statewide elections, and that was for superintendent of education. And there were actually six candidates running here in South Carolina for that. Wait, wait, wait. The super in, there's a, wait, wait. You can in South Carolina, you can run for the superintendent of education for the entire state. Wow, that's I've never heard of such a thing. Cool. So how do you well, do? Anyway, um, he got about twenty thousand votes, which it it ended up being about a hundred times the difference between the top two vote getters, the Democrat and Republican, mm-hmm. which they haven't actually decided who's won yet because there's only been a difference of like two hundred votes, and so um. So he was definitely first, the uh, the kingmaker then in that race. Oh yeah. Well, that actually, he and um, another candidate each got about twenty thousand votes, and then um, a couple others got a couple thousand. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, no one even got the majority. And um, I was actually excited because I convinced my grandmother and mother and roommate to vote for him, and my mother. I actually had been working on her for you know weeks, mm-hmm. telling her you know this guy is lot better than any of the others and the night before the election i finally got her to agree to vote for him how did she and feel then, afterwards i mean as somebody who probably was probably her first time stepping out of the republican and democrat box how did she feel afterwards well the next night the election results were coming in and she was she's been a republican and i guess she still is pretty much but um came out and the democrats been ahead She's like, oh, no, we may have, you know, crossed the Republican the race. And I was mm-hmm. like, well, you're just assuming that um, those votes belong to the Republican and that if the Libertarian wasn't in the race that they would have voted for her, but that's not the case. I said, if anything, the Republican still votes from the Libertarian because there were a lot of people that probably um, in their hearts they knew that he was better, but they said, well, we can't have a Democrat in office, so I'll vote for the Republicans. Yeah, nobody owns the votes. I hate it when people say, oh, he stole the votes. Well, you don't own the votes in the first place. There's no so, there's no such thing as stealing votes from another candidate. And then also the libertarians in our state are being credited with getting our governor reelected because um, there is a large group of Republicans that actually... Um, you know, formed a group at Republicans for Tommy Moore, which was our Democratic candidate. And okay. so they didn't like him because our governor has, you know, disagreed so much with our Republican um, General Assembly. So wait, the governor is a Republican? Hold on a second, I'm confused. Yes, the, governor the governor is, is a, a Republican, Republican, and he's making yeah. Republicans angry because he's going along with the Democrats, and that's why the Republicans are were stumping for no, the Democrats? 
No, he's not going for the Democrats. He's just going against the Republican House because um, he wants to cut government spending a lot more than they want to. And he's actually, since he's come into office four years ago, he cut our deficit by over 90 percent, I think. And um, Mm. under him, government only grown by 1 percent. So did he get reelected or no? Yeah, he did. And so it's the Libertarians that are being credited with that because of all the Republicans that actually um, left his constituency or whatever you call it. And they actually ran attack ads calling him a Libertarian, which I thought that's probably good. Yeah, that's interesting. The Libertarian associated with him, and he's very popular in the state still. He has like over a... 60% 60% approval rating. Wow, so and, uh, Republicans, so angry Republicans who wanted a little bit more government were running uh, hit pieces on him, labeling him as a libertarian, which is now believed helped him win the election. Right. Very interesting, Zach. Thank you for the update, man. Uh, we appreciate hearing from you. Have a great night. 800-259-9231. Good news there. Yeah, not terrible. And so that's interesting that labeling someone as a libertarian actually helped them out in the race because it gave people something to, to vote for. Um, I, I gave them maybe made them feel better about voting for one of the major party candidates. It'd be nice to have a libertarian governor here in New Hampshire. You know, since uh, since Zach brought up uh, the, the the election, I, I wanted to turn to the opinion of another candidate who was a libertarian, who is a libertarian, but didn't run as a libertarian. Remember, we focused earlier this week on uh, Joel Winters here in New Hampshire. He's the first free state project member to be elected to the uh, the State House of Representatives. But the NHLA, the um, New Hampshire Liberty Alliance, has um, 75, like 75 candidates that were endorsed that won. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's true. I mean, there's but... a bunch of liberty-minded people in the New, New oh, Hampshire Oh, no House. doubt about it. I'm just saying that he's the first free stater yeah. to actually get elected. And what it was um, unique about his race was that, or worthy of pointing out, was that he is um, he ran as a Democrat. Even though he's a tried and true libertarian, I think Dennis, one of our listeners, called in and he said that you know, outside of Ian and Mark, he'd be the first person who he would label as a libertarian. Hmm. I mean, this guy's pretty principled from what I understand it. And, but he ran as a Democrat and won. And so um, Frank Gonzalez down in Florida, his story's worth talking about as well. Because all the people that ran as libertarians, none of them cracked 4% maximum. And the guy that got 4%, Michael Bednarik, he spent over $400,000. And he didn't really do any better than the people that spent 10000 or less mm-hmm. and got about the same results. So the libertarian candidates did pretty dismally. And Frank, uh, Frank Gonzalez from Miami had a few thoughts. He says, I gathered with my campaign supporters on election night at our private party for results of my race for U.S. House as the A-rated pro-gun libertarian Democrat in Florida's District 61. You'd think, pro-gun Democrat? He doesn't have a shot, right? It doesn't sound like it. Well, I spent just over $11,000, yet received 41% of the vote, or 49%, depending on which news outlet you believe. This came to just 26 cents per vote. The Democrat in District 25 spent three times as much and received only 0.9% more even though my district is the most Republican of the three in Miami-Dade County. How many South Florida Libertarians came to my assistance? Relatively few. Almost none. After all, he was probably being seen as uh, a betrayer. Yeah. So he's not pure enough for us. When, in fact, um, as I understand it, Frank Gonzalez is a pretty pure Libertarian. 
just that he decided to not run as a libertarian, so he might actually have a shot at winning. My Republican opponent spent over $600,000 just to squeeze out an embarrassing single-digit uh, margin of victory. Remember, Frank spent 11000 mm-hmm. This came to $9.80 per vote for his Pyrrhic victory. Best of all, the writing is now on the wall, and everybody knows this, that uh, victory is mine in 2008 if I continue expanding my strategy of uniting Goldwater conservatives with mainstream, Demo- uh, mainstream Democrats and independents. I had very high hopes for Badnarik as the savior of the Libertarian Party on election night, too. Me, too. I watched for his results, but noticed his two opponents took over 95% of all of the votes. And remember, one of his opponents was a write-in candidate. This left me with a very disappointing feeling that most of his campaign's missives were based on fluff and completely void of real hope. This hope is what motivated supporters everywhere, including myself, to contribute to his campaign, and I now feel deceived. Think of the long-term damage this will do to the Libertarian Party. I don't feel deceived. I just feel like we lost. we We gave it our very, very best shot. And we lost. I don't feel deceived, but then again, I didn't contribute anything to him. Then again, I didn't. I did contribute to Badnarik when he was running uh, for president in 2004, and I ex- fully expected to not have him win that particular race. So uh, think of the long-term damage he says this could do to the Libertarian Party. Did he not think that this would all be exposed for all to see later? I went to the Libertarian Party website to see how they're spinning Badnarik's once celebrated but subsequently highly disappointing and horrendously expensive campaign for U.S. House in Texas's 10th district. Incidentally, while I was there, I noticed that no Libertarian candidate in 2006 surpassed the record 27.2% that I set as a Libertarian in 2004 for the federal level. But I digress. More from Frank Gonzalez and your thoughts as well. 800-259-9231. It's Free Talk Live. This is Free Talk Live, your show. You bring up what you want. Toll free, 800-259-9231. The Packet 8 toll-free line for you. 1-800-259-9231. Ian here with you. And Mark. Join us on our website, freetalklive.com. The wiki is there. Over 850 unique pages created by listeners just like you. You go to wiki.freetalklive.com to get interactive there or just surf around. WIKI.freetalklive.com. It's free, like everything else is, on our website. And register now for the New Hampshire Liberty Forum. Come and hear a speech by John Stossel entitled Enemies of Liberty. The three-day event is starting on February 23rd through the 25th. Early bird discount is available now, but only for a limited time. So get registered at freestateproject.org slash libertyforum. Of course, you can learn a lot more there. That's freestateproject.org slash libertyforum. And i got to say, I'm really looking forward to this. It's been, a, it's been a while since I've been to a, you know, we went to a couple talk radio conventions mm-hmm. last year, Mark, but it's been a little while since I've been to any sort of liberty-oriented convention. I think the last one I went to was the Libertarian Party of Florida convention, and it was a bit of a snooze fest. Mm-hmm. But uh, this should be. This is expected to be possibly one of the biggest pro-liberty events of the year, if not all time. I mean, I it's think that, be the, big. that they've claimed all time, and I think that it very well could be. I, I mean, nobody's ever had um, John Stossel before. That's no. for sure. They kicked out the dough for John Stossel. That's for sure. And uh, by the way, he gives all of his fees to charity. So whatever he he's pulling in to speak at this particular event, it's not going to his bank account. It's going to it to a charity of his choice. Just kind of interesting. Yeah. Uh, 1-800-259-9231. That is the Packet 8 toll-free line. We're talking about Frank Gonzalez's reflections. He's a candidate from down in Miami, Florida's District 21, a, a libertarian guy who ran as a Democrat. And as a result of running as a Democrat, he got 41% of the vote. 
which that's tremendous. Yeah. And nice. uh, actually, according to uh, two different news sources, one of them says he got 49 percent. So he's not really even sure which one he got. But either way, um, he did a lot better as a Democrat than he would have done if he had run as a libertarian. Well, he did run as a libertarian in 2004 That's and correct. got 24%. And set a record, as a matter of fact. 27.2% uh, is what he got in 2004. And this is a federal race. So it's not like it's soil and waterboard or anything like that. This is a real deal. Anyway, he says uh, he was talking about how Michael Badnarik spent over $400,000. This is the former uh, libertarian candidate for president who ran for U.S. House in Texas this year, spent over $400,000 from contributors around the country and beyond buying unnecessary buses and billboards, yet received a shockingly dismal 4.31% of the vote in his three-way race. I raised no money and had no volunteers in 2002 as, my, as a libertarian in my three-way race for U.S. House in District 5 of Illinois and received 4.34%. So well, I don't think there's direct corollary in, in the amount of money spent. Um, for instance, he probably got a big boost for people that were just voting Democrat because they're mad at the Republicans. Okay, uh, I mean, just in all you're going to get a boost um, whether or not whether or not the voters are mad at the Republicans. Just running as one of the two major parties is going to give you a boost. Sure it is. If you can if you can get if you can be the qualified candidate on the ballot from another major party, you're going to do better than the Libertarian. It's just that's just a fact. You're going to get more press. You're going to get more attention. He says, uh, how purist, how are purist libertarians who, like major party partisans, think party label, uh, think party label is more important than libertarian principles promoted by any means necessary, going to explain this away? You sold out to the part. You sold out the party platform. Your most recognized candidate, because what's he, what he's referring to is earlier this year at the Libertarian Party convention, they gutted the party platform. Mm -hmm. Uh, your most recognized candidate seriously disappointed those of us with experience. Most of your so-called activists refuse to help candidates who do stand a cho uh, chance of winning. And a few stragglers still question why I left the Libertarian Party in order to help liberty. You're your own worst enemies, says Frank. I want the Libertarian Party to be successful, but until you address these screaming inefficiencies and self-delusions, you'll always remain a social club of ideologues. Not much more effective than a large Dungeons and Dragons campaign. No offense to D&D &D players, as I've loved the game myself. By the way, I was going to call Jason Blair of Arizona's District 6, who earned 26%, but I discovered, and correct me if I'm wrong, that he was a write-in candidate who didn't even have a campaign website. Imagine how he could have done had he been serious. Frank Gonzalez, the uh, candidate for U.S. House District 21, who polled 41% of the vote as a Democrat. Now, I consider myself a libertarian purist. You know, I'm somebody who um, understands the libertarian principle, and that is that we don't support the use of, uh, advocate or support the use of force to achieve political or social goals. And it, since I adhere to that, every issue, every time, that makes me a libertarian purist. But I'm not a libertarian purist these days in that I'm in love with the Libertarian Party. I had my, you know, my honeymoon with them after I got into politics and sort of found the Libertarian Party and got excited about it and then watched them fail and sort of floated away. Um, so I, I don't think that you can label somebody uh, as a Libertarian purist if they support the Libertarian Party. Those are just party aficionados. Those are um, party fanatics more than they are libertarian purists, because there's plenty of people who are obsessed with the libertarian party that aren't pure from a principled standpoint. So just kind of a, um, 
just a bit of a differentiation there to clear up. I'm sort of of the same opinion. I, I don't think that the Libertarian Party has much chance of winning anything major. Um, I have hopes for them. I certainly hoped for Michael Badnarik. I, I was I was I was strong supporter. I wanted him to win. Right. But it you know they didn't, and and that's the reason that I support the Republican Liberty Caucus, who uh, managed to get 120 candidates elected. 1-800-259-9231 is the toll-free number. If you've uh, still got some reflections on the election this week, the Packet 8 toll-free line is 1-800-259-9231. Otherwise, we're going to shift gears and talk about Borat, because you went and saw it over the weekend. I also I um, was able to uh, to view the film, and I loved it. Did you? Yeah, but you were telling me that you didn't think it was that great. I, I, I'd i like to – well, first, I'd like to preface it and say that I think that it's comedy genius. Um but it's not my kind of comedy genius. I just don't like that particular type of comedy, um, you know, getting into situations where you're embarrassing the heck out of real live people who, uh, you know, weren't expecting it. Um, I thought that it, it Give me had, an example. Um, for instance, the uh, the etiquette meal. Do you remember? Uh, when he went to the southern sort of mansion, mm-hmm. sat down with a bunch of um, prim and proper southern folk. For, for a meal and to right. talk about etiquette. He, uh, you know, there was a guy who labeled, who said that he was a, uh, a minister. And uh, Borat said, you know, in my country, they go crazy for, for these women here. Well, and he pointed at the women on his side. But right. then, then he pointed at the guy's wife and said, uh, not so much her. Yeah. And, yeah. and you know, basically called the guy's um, wife ugly. ugly right there at the table. It was awful. Yeah, that, I mean, was, that was mean of him. But, uh, hey, what are you going to do? Well, what are you, yeah. It's, he I pushes mean, people's buttons. That's what, yeah. And that's what the humor is. Yeah. And I don't find it funny. You, um, felt, you felt bad for the, the Yeah, I, I was embarrassed through most of the film. I'm, I had my face covered at, at Portions. Um, you know, I mean, I think that uh, I thought the part was I thought it was absolutely brilliant uh, in that scene where he brought in the hooker. I thought it was uh, funny. Yeah. But um, I it was I didn't expect that at all. And, you know, there uh, were some great parts to the film. I think I, I would give it an eight overall. I would expect that uh, most people would see it, especially if you're in your um, in your 20s. Go see it. It's funny. But heck, if you're if you appreciate comedy and you aren't easily offended, you should go see this film. Did anybody walk out while you were there? No, I didn't see anyone. I didn't notice anyone walk out. Because I've heard that people have walked out, especially during the uh, the scene between him and his uh, oh, that was funny. His producer. Yeah, that was hilarious. <laughs> I, I, Making I don't guys wanna, wrestling. Yeah, I, we can't. We shouldn't say anything more than that. Eight hundred two five nine ninety two thirty one. Well, it turns out that a few of his victims have filed a lawsuit against Borat and his producers. We want some of that money. Yeah, we're going to explore that here in a moment. Your calls as well. This is your show. It's Free Talk Live. Would you like to help others find Free Talk Live? You can help us advertise, market, and promote the show at amp.freetalklive.com. Consider becoming a Free Talk Live amplifier now for $3 a month and get some cool bonuses at amp.freetalklive.com. This is Free Talk Live. Anything goes if you take control of the airwaves via the toll-free number, 800-259-9231. That's the Packet 8 toll-free line for you, 1-800-259-9231. And you can join us on our website at freetalklive.com. We've got updates. You get signed up, we'll clue you in whenever there's something fresh to announce about the show. Updates.freetalklive.com. To get on the list, that's updates.freetalklive.com. In fact, I just sent out an update last night about the brand-new October torrent that we've added to our website. Yes, that's right. You can go to freetalklive.com and just download an entire month's worth of shows via the October torrent, and even further back than that, an entire year right there, front page of the site, 
freetalklive.com. Hey, are you looking for some passionate political talk that doesn't sound like it was written by flax from the Democrats or Republicans? Well, check out Common Sense with Dan Carlin and see why he's popular with Free Talk Live listeners. It's loud, fast, and smart. Get the podcast from iTunes or go to dancarlin.com. That's dancarlin.com as uh, we continue. Uh, actually, in a moment, we're going to talk about Borat because we've sort of just spoken to our feelings about the film. I loved it. I thought it was brilliant. Hilarious. Of course, I was a fan of Borat's before I went into the movie, and this was kind of your first um, experience with him, right? I'd seen a couple of clips on YouTube. Okay. All right. So we're going to get back into it, because there's news uh, today about this. Some of his victims have filed a lawsuit, and we'll talk about which ones they were, what the suit's all about. But first, we're going to the phones to the fun. You take control of the airwaves. Let's talk to Jeff in Florida. You're on Free Talk Live with Ian and Mark. Hello, Jeff. Hi, guys. How are you doing? Good. What's Um, on your mind? Well, I'm started listening to the show last week, and I noticed that you guys like to criticize white nationalists. Yes. Okay. Um, but your uh, a libertarian reorientation of the United States would lead to exactly that. There's what are you talking about? Uh, Whale. You ever heard of like, anything like white flight? Mm, uh, can you define that? What's it mean? Uh, well, it's kind of a derogatory term, but it it, it means that that whites move out of uh, any type of enclave where there's more than a few percentage points of uh, non-whites. And what about it? Well, if you allow people to do that and you get rid of affirmative action and you get rid of busing and you uh, get rid of all the uh, integrationist uh, uh, tyranny, then you would have exactly that. You would have white nationalists. Wait a minute. You believe that all white people are white nationalists? Uh, they're maybe not by what they say, but by what they do, uh, definitely seems to indicate that. Well, what, uh, what, 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 I mean, what do you base I that like on? to pay attention more of what, what people do rather than what they say, because, you know, what, what they say can, you know, be kooky or erudite. And, well, I'm, I'm but sorry, but I don't true. see, um, I don't see white people being forced by government programs to live next to black people, uh, or Hispanics or anybody else. And there are plenty of white people that do that. I agree with you. There's probably some white people that feel uncomfortable um, when people of different colors move into the neighborhood, but they're just racist at heart, obviously. And that's, you know, if that's how they want to be, then they should be they should be allowed to be that way. I mean, what's the big deal? Well, the, you know, the the orientation of uh, uh, people's um, organizational principles is either Marxism, which is structural Marxism, which is by uh, their socioeconomic uh, level, or they do it by race, as they always have, or, or as they did before Marx, as far as we can look back into history. Um, so you're either one or the other. What are you so talking saying, about? You're saying people that earn the same amount of money have a tendency to live in the same places? Uh, well, that does tend to be true, but no, I'm not, I'm not saying specifically that. I'm saying that Marxism is that, and there is a dichotomy, and on one end you have what you would call racism. So wait a minute, I'm sorry, uh, you're saying that people principle. are... Wait, let me see if I understand you right here. You're saying sure. that either I'm a Marxist or I'm a racist. Um, I don't agree. Those words are very loaded. Well, you, you're the ones that use... You're, you just use them. That doesn't mean that I'm, I loaded them. Uh, <laughs> um, you can... The or, there's either an organizational principle, but uh, it's the way you, you orient... Or a society is oriented. Marxism has to be enforced. That's why it doesn't work. Okay. Um, but before that, we we have always used uh, family, tribe, race. We had always done that, and um, 
it, it was Marxism that changed all that. You know, and, I would agree with you that people that earn mm-hmm. the same amount of money have a tendency to live in the same places, but I would also say that um, that our political structure that we've had in the United States um, has kept black people down um, in the sense that we give them, you know, free money in the form of welfare, and it's just a very little amount of free money, free money so therefore they're poor. Well, there's other reasons they're kept down as well. The regulations regulations uh, also affect poor people, whether they're poor blacks or poor whites, uh, they also affect them and prevent them from starting businesses that they could create wealth with. Sure. And I think that over time, I think people are starting to meld together. You're starting to see more interracial uh, relationships. You're starting to see more mulatto people, and uh, you're starting to see more mixing of the of the races and that is not something that has had to have happened at the point of a gun the government gun yes em, um, affirmative action absolutely well, they never is had racist. to send the 101st airborne in to pull people apart they had to send the 101st airborne in to integrate people well um, obviously you, you, you're talking with free talk live and we don't agree with force on the part of the government so if it's the if it's the government forcing people apart as they have in the past we're going to disagree with that if it's the government forcing people together as they do in some cases, we're going to disagree with that as well. And it doesn't matter to me if we're... I understand that, but that's what I'm saying, is that one of your beliefs leads to the other, so you're a little bit inconsistent on um, kind of... You know, display this natural animosity towards, like, nationalism or towards white nationalism. Wait, wait, I'm sorry. Say say that again? Sure. Um, It it seems that... uh, I understand that you don't believe in, you know, government... Compulsion, you know, sending guys with guns and all that. Mm-hmm. Um, but without that, without forced integration, you would have deintegration. You would have. That's your okay. That is your position, and um, okay, no, I respectfully disagree. Numbers, it's it's numbers. It's not really whether we agree or not. It's it's what actually happens. Well, that's your su- it's total it's supposition. Like you've got nothing else beyond what your um, you believe, sir. There's well, you've got nothing to back that up. I can back it up with, by saying that there's no, more there's more there mixed are. couples now. I mean, I, I can go the opposite Actually, direction. If you, if you go down to uh, your local uh, leftist uh, uh, humanities professor, they'll tell you that the intermixing rate is scandalously low inside the United States, and they'll actually tell you that's how you know the United States is a racist nation. I don't disagree with their analysis per se, but uh, they are right. I think these things take time, and I think there's been a a lot of animosity amongst the races um, over time, and I think that the only thing that's going to ever fix that is freedom. Yeah, if racist blacks and racist whites want to go off and form their own little enclaves, they should absolutely be free to do that. But the rest of us... in my experience, racist whites and racist blacks tend to get along a lot better. Whatever. uh, If they all want to go together and form a little racist community where they can hate everybody together, I don't care. It's none of my business. It's it's not about hate any more than uh, you know. Oh whatever! I've seen the racist websites, and all they do is just spew oh, yeah. vitriol against Jewish people and black people and Hispanic people. And well, I'm sure there's racist case because they enforce the uh, the integration. They always have. What are you talking about? The, they uh, enforce the integration. The the government yeah, is made up of all different types of people. That's right. But if you look at the legislation and who was. Who's always been lobbying? I mean, uh, you can go back to 1925 to that 1925 Immigration Act or the Hart Settlement Act. But there's Act uh, Christians the are in charge of the government. I mean, the, the, this is not a government full of Jewish people. It's a government full of Christians for the most part. Episcopals. Oh yeah, you're right about that. I mean, you know, George Bush has a has a nice Germanic last name and is a red-blooded Protestant and all that, but. 
but he's a corrupt SOB. And so part of you're just making general that. statements that aren't necessarily the case. So what's your point anyway, um, Jeff? I am, my point is that your notion of uh, liberty is unsustainable in a multicultural environment. Well, and, um, and how so? You haven't backed that up. Um, you haven't made one statement towards <laughs> towards that. You've said that uh, for yes, whatever reason. Okay. If you st- if you look at the the numbers and statistics for white, flight, you can find them if you Google that white flight in quotes on the internet. Uh, you what you notice is that whenever non-whites gain a certain small percentage inside of a of a neighborhood or whatnot, whites will leave rapidly. But that doesn't mean out. that that liberty is unsustainable. You don't have to be white to believe in liberty. Uh, yeah. No, you don't, but uh, it tends to follow. Our political forums tend to... And multiculturalism does not have to be... And multiculturalism doesn't have to be enforced. I mean, it's everything should be done on a voluntary basis. Thanks for the call, Jeff. 800-259-9231. Bizarre. You take control of the airwaves. Borat on the way. Your calls as well about anything. It's Free Talk Live. This is Free Talk Live, your show. You bring up what you want toll-free, 800-259-9231. That's the Packet 8 toll-free line for you, 1-800-259-9231. It's Ian here with you. And Mark, join us on our website at freetalklive.com. All of the features are on the house. We give it away, freetalklive.com, although we do ask that you buy some stuff in return for all of the free stuff, like Free Talk Live stuff. Free Talk Live hats, Free Talk Live t-shirts. We Who wouldn't a, want that? A flag. Apparently, some people do want it. Uh, we have a number of orders for these products. In fact, Johnson uh, just get, um, sent me a message today saying the products are in. Oh, Man, nice. Many of them are. The bumper stickers, we're still waiting on those. We're still waiting on, uh, I think, the flags as well. But orders should be beginning to uh, be fulfilled here by the end of the month, I think, at the latest. Anyway, so store.freetalklive.com is where you can place your order. That, again, is store.freetalklive.com. So we just got off the phone with uh, Jeff in Florida, and he was, as I understood it, he was suggesting that uh, this whole liberty thing is doesn't work in a multicultural society. And the first only time thing, we've ever heard this. Yeah, the only thing he really said that that he uh, wanted that he could back that up with was that uh, white flight. If a black person moves in, if too many black people move in on a given street, then all the white people will move out, or most of the white people will move out, and. Maybe, um, maybe to an extent that is the case. You know, there's still a lot of sort of I don't even see the, in. I don't even see the correlation though. Why does liberty not work because white people don't want to live with black people? I think he believes that um, most white people are racists at heart. Okay. I think he believes that all races are racists at heart, or something like that. And that way, you know, if we try to have liberty, then everybody will just split apart. I think that's what he was um, getting at. So. But, um, yeah, so, right, exactly. If that's the way people are meant to be, if that's the way they want to be, then they should be free to, to be that way. I personally don't believe that to be the case. If I see black uh, black folks moving in down the street, it makes me feel good. Um, Same it, here. Yeah, it, new people coming in. Now, it doesn't matter to me if the person is black or white or yellow or whatever they are, if they are causing trouble, if they're, you know killing their neighbor's dogs or doing uh, mean things, vandalism or something like that, which could just as easily be white people as it can be black people, then I've got a problem. If you're harming others, if you're destroying property, you're gonna have a pro- I'm going to have a problem with you. But the color of your skin isn't a factor. That's not a factor at all for me. And I think it's the same way for a lot of people who have who maybe grown up with parents or grandparents, like my grandmother, sweet old lady. 
but she's somebody that'll still throw out the term colored, right? She just mm-hmm. can't get over it. Well, I don't think that using the term colored means that one's racist. I don't think so either, but it's one of those sort of uh, throwbacks it is. to when more people absolutely were racist, and it's sort of I sort of cringe when I when I hear her say that sort of thing. And I think more people are um, more people, white and black and Hispanic and everybody else, are becoming like uh, you know I am, and just sort of getting over this whole racist thing and being sick of people that display racist behavior and not wanting to be around racists. It doesn't now, really solve any problems. If racist moved in to my neighborhood down the street from me, I'd have a problem with that, too. If they were being overt about it, you know, painting no Jews on their garage or something like that, yeah, I'm going to have a problem with that. But it doesn't matter to me what the color of their skin is. I'm all fine uh, with people getting together, and I don't have a problem with people uh, who are black or Hispanic or white or uh, whatever. As long as you love freedom, as long as you love liberty, then I will be your friend. There's nothing – I mean, that's my qualifier as far as I'm concerned. I don't see how anyone could argue with that. Yeah. So there. All right. Let's let's talk about a movie that absolutely had some racist overtones, uh, Borat, although it was all in in a fun sort of way. I thought it was great. You sort of, eh, you're a little iffy on it. You liked it, but you didn't, you felt kind of bad for the people who were supposedly victims of uh, Borat. In the case of some of his victims, two unsuspecting fraternity boys want to make lawsuit against Borat over their drunken appearance in the hit movie, according to the Associated Press. The legal action filed Thursday on their behalf claims they were duped into appearing in the spoof documentary Borat Cultural Learnings of America for Make Benefit Glorious Nation of Kazakhstan, uh, in which they made racist and sexist comments while on camera. This wouldn't be the first time the drunken frat, uh, frat boys acted like louts, but these young men, quote, engaged in behavior that they otherwise would not have engaged in, the lawsuit says. So apparently, because there was a TV camera there, they just became totally different people and said things they normally wouldn't say. Well, maybe because they had a little bit to drink. Maybe that helped loosen them up a little. Yeah, and they were, they were pretty, uh, pretty, pretty messed up. Maybe like, uh, maybe like Mel Gibson, they showed their true colors. And, of course, that's what this is all. That's what Borat is all about. He's about being this sort of innocent, um, racist guy from Kazakhstan. 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 He's he sort of acts innocent, but at the same time he sort of displays racist overtones, and he manages to and sexist overtones, right? And he manages to basically goad people into showing their true colors about how racist and ignorant and uh, sexist in some cases they are, as these college kids did. So here's the rest of the story. Uh, Borat follows the adventures of comedian Sasha Baron Cohen's Kazakh journalist character in a blend of fiction and improvised comic encounters as he travels across the United States and mocks Americans. The plaintiffs were not named in the lawsuit, quote, to protect themselves from any additional and unnecessary embarrassment, though they weren't exactly um, obscured in the movie, so you'd think that eventually it's going to come out who these guys are. One would think. Like their friends are going to see them or their enemies are going to see them and, and out them. They were identified in the movie as fraternity members from a South Carolina university and appeared drunk as they made insulting comments about women and minorities to Cohen's character. Hmm. The lawsuit claims that in October 2005, a production crew took the students to a bar to, to drink and loosen up before participating in what they were told would be a documentary to be shown outside of the United States. <laughs> the plaintiff's attorney says they were induced to agree to participate and were told the name of the fraternity and the name of their school wouldn't be used. 
They were put into an RV and were made to believe they were picking up Borat the, Borat the Hitchhiker. After a bout of heavy drinking, the plaintiffs signed a release form that they were told had something to do with reliability issues with being in the RV. Look, just because you're told something about the form that you sign doesn't mean that that's really what the case is. If you are too dumb or too inebriated to read and understand the contract that is placed in front of you, don't expect me to feel bad for you when you put your signature on the dotted line. Sorry, guys. You were just because you were drunk doesn't mean that you get out of your responsibility to understand the agreements you're entering into. And just because you're drunk, uh, I don't know, man. Do you think that that invalidates the contract? I think that they've got a. I think they've got a leg to stand on. The uh, the producers took them out to drink, right? And then asked them to sign a piece of paper. Mm-hmm. I think they've got a leg to stand on. Well, the damage has been done at this point. Oh well, the as damage. Far as they're their not reputation. looking. Look, they're not looking for damages on their reputation. They're looking for money. The film quote made plaintiffs the object of ridicule, humiliation, mental anguish, and emotional and physical distress, loss of reputation, goodwill, and standing in the community. The lawsuit said, "No, they made themselves the object of ridicule." Humiliation, mental anguish, emotional and physical distress. They are the ones responsible for losing their reputation, for opening their big misogynistic mouths. I gotta say that's true. And talking trash about women. You remember the scene in in this particular case, Mark? In the RV. It was absolutely outrageous, some of the things that they were saying. And I hope they lost some reputation for it. And I think that they, probably some of the things they said were uh, beliefs held by a lot of misogynistic college frat boys. I think they are sort of representative of uh, a good cross-section of America. They were just being honest. That's all. And now they're, lo- now they're filing a lawsuit because they were too honest and got caught on film doing it. Well, I can't say it'd be the, the worst thing in the world if some of the people in Borat's movie got some of the money that... Uh, um, that, that they was, got paid. The, well, car, they... the car dealer. I remember reading an article. I think it was in Time magazine. They, they paid that car dealer like a, a few hundred bucks in order to... Um, you know, be on the lot and be in the film or something that like that. That doesn't mean these boys got paid. They probably just paid where they had to pay. Yeah, they probably just bought them the drinks. Yeah. And that was it. <laughs> You're going to be on TV, man. Come on in. We'll get uh, get liquored up. Yeah. That uh, car dealership thing was hilarious. The uh, name's 20th Century Fox, a unit of News Corp, three production companies. I'd like to get that magnet put in my car, too, by the way. The student, uh, the st- studio spokesman Greg Brilliant said the lawsuit, quote, has no merit. The plaintiffs were seeking an injunction to stop the studio from displaying their image and likeness, along with unspecified monetary damages, which, of course, is what they're really after, because, again, the damage has been done. This was the number one movie in America over the weekend. Plenty of people saw these kids, especially, I'm sure, people living in South Carolina and on or about the South Carolina um, University campus. So, sorry, boys. <laughs> little Too little, too late. But I hope that they fail. I hope they utterly, utterly fail in this particular lawsuit because I don't want these um, scumbags to uh, get a reward for being scumbags. 800-259-9231. That's the toll-free number. Packet 8 toll-free line for you. You take control of the airways. Mark, you're going to tell us coming up about how one um, European city or town has eliminated their stoplights entirely. We'll get into the details on that as to why and how well or not so well it's working out for him. Hour two's coming up. You take control. Free Talk Live. 
Our archives, website, and podcast will continue to stay free, but if you think other people deserve to hear this show, consider becoming a Free Talk Live amplifier for just $3 a month at amp.freetalklive.com. Help free some minds. Visit amp.freetalklive.com. This is Free Talk Live, and we're kicking off Hour 2 of the Friday edition. You can take control of the airwaves. Call free. 800-259-9231. That's 1-800-259-9231. The Packet 8 toll-free line for you. Bring up what you want. It's Ian here with you. And Mark. And you can join us on our website at freetalklive.com. All of the features you'll find are totally free. That, again, is freetalklive.com. Hey, by the way, Mark, we were talking last hour about Borat and the lawsuit that he's facing from two of the fraternity, uh, two of the fraternity brothers that embarrassed themselves in front of cameras uh, while they were filming in this RV that they were supposedly driving with Borat. And in one of the scenes in the movie, they said some very misogynistic, I, I, I think the, the article said racist comments. I don't remember hearing racist comments. I, I just remember t- hearing them taking shots against women. And it was a very funny scene, but now they're angry, and now they're suing. But there was a third guy in that scene, as you may recall. There were three college students, mm-hmm. not two. So, as it turns out, one of the three isn't involved in this lawsuit, and ABC News got an exclusive interview with him. So here from ABC News is a little bit more on this case. Two fraternity brothers have taken legal action against the comic known as Borat. A third, though, tells ABC News in an exclusive interview that they were tricked into appearing in the film, but it was fun. David Corson, uh, Corserin said, They definitely told us a lie. He told ABC's Daniel Bellotta that he was paid $200 okay. to drink with Borat for a sequence in the film in which he and students at a South Carolina university appeared drunk and made racist and misogynistic comments. He said, quote, They fibbed a little bit. They went so far as to say that he was a real reporter from Kazakhstan. I think that, uh, I think that they said it would be broken up into six television specials and that it would never be shown in the United States. Two other people who were depicted in the film as South Carolina students announced Thursday that they were suing 20th Century Fox, uh, the studio that made Borat. The film, which opened on November 3rd, was number one at the weekend box office and has grossed more than $35 million in ticket sales, which, by the way, is just incredible. I mean, Oh, they couldn't have spent anything on filming this. Right. Uh, the, the budget of the film, probably next to nothing, the budget for promotions probably three times, if not five. I think I think the total budget for Borat was eighteen million bucks, okay, including all of the promotional budget. That's minor. So they're going to make a huge amount of money on this, which means he's going to come back. You think? I'm thinking he's going to come back. I would think so. I mean, like, I don't know if Borat's going to come back, but I've already heard rumors that his third character, Sasha Cohen's third character, is going to be doing a movie. I know Ali G, and I know Borat, but Ali I don't G's know. already had a movie. Okay. I, now, I, Ali G's movie wasn't like Borat in that Ali G's movie was total fiction. Okay. Borat, on the other hand, sort of a meld of a little bit of fiction with a lot of reality. Mm-hmm. And his third character is this um, very flamboyant gay commentator for Hungarian gay TV okay. uh, named Bruno. And so I don't think that <laughs> he's not going to be able to get away with doing Borat again, I don't think, too I don't easily. Think so. So he's going to have to shift to his other character. Anyway, in the largely unscripted film, Cohen plays a journalist from the Central Asian country traveling across America. Along the way, he mocks racism, sexism, misplaced patriotism, and pop culture. The plaintiffs um, in the lawsuit are remaining anonymous, quote, to protect themselves from any unnecessary embarrassment. The lawsuit says that they went to the bar and blah, blah, blah. Corserin's recollection largely coincides with the plaintiff's account. Quote, I got a call from one of my buddies asking me if I wanted to get paid $200 to get drunk. And I said, yeah, 
That sounds like a good idea. Of course, he's a frat boy. Does sound like a good idea. I mean, he gets drunk every weekend or every night anyway, except he has to pay for it. This time, yeah, make a little money. So I went down, and I went through the interview process, and I was one of the lucky, or I guess the unlucky, that got chosen. He said, he brought us to a bar, and he told us, yeah, guys, I hope you have really good stories. Don't let me guy, uh, don't let me down, just typical frat guy talk, Korsarin said. He kind of challenged us to shock him. Unlike the... And I'm, I'm guessing when he says he, he means the producer. I, I find it hard to believe that Borat would be setting that up. Yeah, I would think not. Unlike the plaintiffs in the lawsuit, however, Corcoran was not upset with the results. Quote, I don't normally like getting lied to, but am I pissed off? No, not really. It is what it is. I had a fun time. You know, if only the other two could be as honest and as, uh, as forthright. Yeah, well, the other two might make some money. This guy's not going to. Well, anyway, let's move on. Let's talk about driving in, in a foreign country, or driving anywhere, because the principles that this European city are applying can apply anywhere. What's going on, Mark? From the Telegraph. Most traffic lights should be torn up as they make um, the road less safe, one of Europe's leading road engineers said yesterday. I don't know how you tear up a traffic light, but okay. Um, Pull I, it out of the ground, I, I think guess. is what he means. Hans Monderman, a traffic planner involved in a Brussels-backed project known as Shared Space, said that taking lights away helped motorists, cyclists, pedestrians to coexist more happily and safely. Residents of the northern Dutch town of Drachen have already um, have already been used as guinea pigs in an experiment which is near, um, which has seen nearly all the traffic lights stripped from their streets. Only three of the 15 sets in the town of 50,000 people remain, and they'll be gone within a couple of years. The project is the brainchild of Mr. Monderman, uh, and the town has seen some rem remarkable results. There used to be a road death here about every three years, but there have been none since the traffic light hmm. um, removal started about seven years ago. This guy, his name uh, sounds to me like the, uh, the guy who has studied this in the past, and I'm not sure. I didn't Google it. I didn't double-check this, but I was sent this very same article that, that you're reading here, and it reminded me of the um, the guy who did studies on... Roads that had heavy signage versus roads that had very light or no signage and determined that there are less accidents on the roads with very little signage. Hmm. So I think this might be the same dude that's in charge of this. There have been a few small collisions, but these are almost to be encouraged, Mr. Mondeman explained. We want small accidents in order to prevent serious ones in which people get hurt, he said yesterday. It works well because it's dangerous, which is exactly what we want. Hmm. But it shifts the emphasis away from the government taking um, taking the risk, but the driver being responsible for his or own risk. We only want traffic lights where they are useful and haven't found anywhere that they're useful yet. Mr. Monderman, 61, compared huh. his philosophy of motoring to an ice rink. Skaters work out things for themselves, and it works wonderfully well. I'm not an anarchist, but I don't like rules which are ineffective, and street furniture seems that tells people how to behave. <laughs> I like that. Street furniture. Street furniture, yes. In short, if motorists are made more wary about how they drive, they behave more carefully. The main junction in uh, Drachen handles about 22,000 cars daily. Wow, where, that's, that's heavy. Yeah, it's, it's pretty heavy. Where once there were traffic lights, there's a roundabout, an extended um, cycle path and pedestrian area. In the day of traffic lights, progress across the junction was slow as cars stopped and started. Now tailbacks are almost unheard of. Not sure what a tailback is. I'm guessing that means following someone really closely. That, that was my thought. Yeah. And almost nobody toots a horn. However, hmm. it is not the cars which seem to be involved in the greatest conflict. It is the cyclists and pedestrians who seem to jostle for space. Driving around Drachen, vehicles approach roundabouts with considerable caution. Traffic approaches from the left, but cyclists come from either side. Cyclists, almost none of whom bother with helmets, 
clearly um, sig- signal clearly at junctions, making sure motorists are aware of them. It's a good idea. Thus far, Drotchen's drivers and pedestrians have voted the, exper- the experiment a success. I'm used to it now, said Helena Spodstra, 24. You drive more slowly and carefully, but somehow you seem to get around town quicker. Hmm. Tony Utswad, uh, 70, was equally enthusiastic. Everybody's learning. I, I would guess that on average that would probably be the case. Probably maybe at a really heavy period, you may take a, may take a little longer, but when I things are light, when uh, when traffic flow is, a, is, is lighter than normal, you can easily get in and out quickly and you don't have to wait for some 45-second long light to, to change. There's nothing that makes me angrier than these red arrows. Are you familiar with these? Um, you sit at a stoplight hoping to turn left, mm-hmm. and there's a red arrow, which means even though the light's green, you can't turn left right. because you're not smart enough to know when there's <laughs> oncoming cars or not. You must be told by street furniture yep. when you can go. It's an insult. It really is. It's deeply insulting. Um, you know, I, I have to say, I think, I, I think this is very interesting. Um, the lights went out in Sarasota, Florida when we had that hurricane last mm-hmm. year, and you and I were living there. And somehow or another, people made it through intersections. Yeah, we did. I made it through plenty of times. Didn't die. I'd have to drive from my house to your house, which is several miles away. Plus, I had to drive to work. Mm-hmm. You know, Everybody I was all right. a lot of intersections where it now, was just everybody used it as a four-way stop. Now, there's the um, there's the St. Armand Circle where we come from, which mm-hmm. is this sort of ritzy shopping area that has a roundabout. And I've seen a handful of accidents take place there. They're never really serious accidents, sort of like he was saying, usually just a little fender bender or rear end or something like that. Um, there's no reason to suggest that that's happening any more often than would have happened if there was a a stoplight at that particular place. Well, they'll swat a pedestrian there every once in a while. But But that's because there's so many of them. There are so many of them, and they're old, and they're not paying attention, and they're rich, and they feel entitled. Hmm, Indeed. All right, I think it's a great idea. We should get rid of stoplights and uh, get rid of road signage, including speed limits. 800-259-9231. You take control of the airwaves. David in Montana coming up. Your calls as well. It is your show. It's Free Talk Live. Eight hundred two five nine ninety two thirty one. That is the toll free number that allows you to take control of the airwaves here on Free Talk Live. It is your show, and you can bring up whatever's on your mind. The Packet Eight toll free line again is one eight hundred two five nine ninety two thirty one. It is Ian here with you, and Mark, and of course you can join us on our website. FreeTalkLive.com, the place to go. We've got all kinds of great stuff there, and it's all for free. The listener map included. Over 1,700 of our listeners have added themselves to it, and you can add yourself to the listener map as well by going to map.freetalklive.com. You can see um, all around the world. Scroll around, zoom in and out, find out who else is listening to the show. Map.freetalklive.com. And Free Talk Live is brought to you by the Free State Project's First 1,000 Pledge. Are you just going to talk about freedom, or are you going to start living it now? Learn how the First 1,000 Pledge can make it happen today at freestateproject.org. That is freestateproject.org. So we go to the phone, uh, to the phones, to the fun. David in Montana, listening on KGEZ. Hello, David. David in Montana, going once. Hello. Hey, David. Hello. How are you doing? You hear me? Good. Yep. We got you fine. What's on your mind? All right. Yeah, I want to just talk about the, the power of the vote towards the libertarian and the constitutional party had this election. Okay. And I'm not like saying that they took away votes from the Republican or they took away votes from the Democrats. Certainly not. It shows that they could, they, that the people still have power, man. You know, like just a little vote, 800 people up here in Montana swayed the vote for 
Senator Burns and Tester, towards Tester, because we're tired of the Democrats and Republicans ripping up the Constitution. So we wait, eight, no, are you saying that eight, I don't know the names of the candidates? Are you saying eight hundred people voted for the Libertarian? Or? Well, see, the the vote was so close; it was like twenty nine hundred votes it came down to, and the Libertarian and the Constitutional Party both like the votes that they had was about 1600 mm -hmm. so if even just half of them voted you know voted for the republican or the democrat you know it could have swayed it so you're saying that the libertarian i don't want to talk about that they, they took the vote away but it's showing that 16 you know a lot of people are fed up with the, with the democrats exactly right which is what it is what and that's the hopefully that's the message that the republicans and democrats are getting when people vote but for they're, third parties see, they're just they're just saying that the the libertarian and the constitutionalists are just taken away from that's them. not true but but we that's right that's what those what people are voting to, for what they believe in Right. They're not stealing and votes. There's no ownership of votes. It's outrageous right. when people make that suggestion. And a lot of people are like saying, oh, it's a joke that the libertarians only get 1,600 here or they get 2,000 there. No, it ain't a joke. This is how a third party starts because as long as the Democrats still uh, keep ripping up the Constitution, mm -hmm. more people are going to see that these guys – aren't nothing no more. They're just uh, loyal to the party, and they forgot about America. And, I agree. Uh, and what do you call uh, mm. this uh, war on... Uh, the war on terror? Yeah, the war on terror and everything, how they're destroying our, our, our freedoms. Our forefather says as this country gets bigger, we get more freedoms. And, and I'm, I'm tired That'd be nice. Of, Unfortunately, tired that's not of, how it's worked. Well... Here they use this excuse of war to take our freedoms away. Yes, they do. But and in the same breath, they wage the war like a bunch of scared women and children. You know, and that's all we hear from them is fear, and and, and we have to fight them over there. And I, I don't. Well, really they're treating care. The I'm American an American. People. I'll fight them right here. Matter of fact, I'd rather fight them here because then we know who they are. Over there, mm. we don't know who they are. Interesting over point. Over there, we know who they are. Interesting and, point, and, Dave. Though they are treating the American people like a bunch of scared women and children, um, because that's what they want the American it's people to be. Coming from the government and the media. And we got to stand up to this and tell no more. We're not afraid. You people are are just uh, propagating all this fear. It's and true, stuff. and I guarantee you, you're not going to see any changes uh, as far as the Democrats are not going to repeal the Patriot Act. They're not going to bring George Bush up on impeachment charges. Not They're just going to grow the government in the way they want to grow it, just like the Republicans grew it in the way they want to grow that's it. that's good, because this will make the, the Libertarian and the Constitutional Party even stronger. I hope you're right, Dave, but it just hasn't been happening over the last few years. Maybe you're right. Maybe there's going to be some sort of hat that'll drop that'll make more people switch over to the Libertarian Party. Well, uh, Americans are are like hard-headed it takes a lot for the to apparently so them, you know they and keep voting the, for republicans and democrats after they continually make government bigger do you think well, th let me ask you I, this dave do you think that um these republicans now that they've been ousted from office many of them have they and they've got acting their like a bunch of crybabies first and now <laughs> they're going oh oh we're gonna get along and yeah yeah right well right. they've got their tail between their legs now and some of them are saying that oh we would forgotten our principles do you think that the american people are going to be duped again in 2000 
2008 when the Republicans come back, as they will, inevitably and say, okay, Americans, this time we're serious. We're really going to reduce the size of government. Trust us. Vote for us again. Are the American people going to fall for it again? You can't fall for it again. They're the worst in the past six years, the worst damage to our Bill of Rights and Constitution has been perpetrated right before our eyes. Yeah, by the Republicans. uh, By the Republicans, and if the Democrats don't jump right on this and do something about it, we know they're they're all the same. They are all the same. They're all on the same side, and that side is bigger government. And David, thank you for the call. We appreciate hearing from you, as always. Mark, you look sort of uh, like absorbing all that. What do you have to say? I don't know. It doesn't seem to me like uh, you're going to see any big changes. I don't think so either. It seems to just be like a badminton game and you know they knock the birdie who's the american people back and forth over the night right. and in the process they grow the government and i uh, and and the media has a lot to blame I, I think a lot of the blame lays on the media for this because they just don't pay attention to the third parties i mean they don't they just ignore them as though they're totally useless and meaningless when as dave pointed out even though some of the libertarians got some dismal results this year and should be embarrassed about it um, they still did throw. They still were the spoiler in many races. They still were the kingmaker, and that's worthy of discussion. That's worthy of. I think it's worthy of them getting press attention. And if the press would just pay attention to the libertarian candidates, they could do better. But unfortunately, there's this weird catch-22 going on where the where the press will tell a libertarian candidate, "Well, we, we can't waste time covering you. You don't have a chance of winning." Of course, the corollary is. That because they don't have a chance of winning because they won't right. spend any time on them. <laughs> so what are you going to do with that? So, yeah, what are you going to do? And I think what you, you should do is what Frank Gonzalez did and what, uh, what Joel Winters did here in New Hampshire, and that is somehow manage to get yourself um, on the ballot as one of the two major parties and run that way. Be a, you know, a stealth libertarian. Be a libertarian uh, p- politically. You know, have principles and be a principled libertarian, just run as a Republican or a Democrat, whichever one you think is going to get you elected. For instance, here in Keene, New Hampshire, where we live, it's a uh, college town. So naturally, you've got academic types here and kids that don't know better, and so they vote Democrat. Well, and also it's close to Vermont, which is very Democrat. Right. So this is sort of like the liberal bastion of uh, what's overall a very conservative voting state, that is New Hampshire. So Democrats have a better chance of winning here. I would suggest that anybody who's a libertarian candidate relabel themselves as a Democrat and then go out and run for office, and you'll have a much better chance of winning as opposed to getting this 2% that many libertarian candidates did this year. 800-259-9231, that is the toll-free number. You can take control of the airwaves. Coming up, the Government's Military Commissions Act. They've already started to uh, enforce it. We're going to give you an example of how. It's Free Talk Live. One of the bonuses you'll get as a Free Talk Live amplifier is access to our classic archives. For just $3 a month, you can become an amplifier, and you'll help us get on more radio stations and MP3 players. Get the details at amp.freetalklive.com. That's amp.freetalklive.com. This is Free Talk Live, your show. You take control. Bring up what you want. All free. 800-259-9231. That is 1-800-259-9231, the Packet 8 toll-free line for you. It's Ian here with you. And Mark. Join us on our website, freetalklive.com. All of the features are on the house, and that includes the bulletin board system. Over 140,000 posts await you. 
bbs.freetalklive.com gets you interactive with uh, lots of other listeners, over 1,200 of them, as a matter of fact. The hosts and more, bbs.freetalklive.com. Well, Mark, we have been uh, pretty Johnny on the spot when it comes to covering the Military Commissions Act of 2006. Mm -hmm. As you may recall, uh, this was the act that was passed a few weeks back by President Bush that allows, essentially, the government to throw people into um, military brigs, give them military tribunals, uh, name, label them enemy combatant. They have to be labeled an enemy combatant in order to be uh, thrown into said military brig and given a military tribunal, which is not public. You do not get to see the evidence that they supposedly have against you. You may not even get to appear. Forget habeas trial. corpus. It's gone. Yeah, it's all been thrown out the window. Um, forget the Constitution. All of that, done. Now we've got essentially a military police state in the United States, and this is the first uh, first of a of several steps that they're taking towards making that happen. Or it's it's one in a series of many steps that they have been taking, just a huge step um, towards just eviscerating the Constitution and the Bill of Rights. So we've certainly co uh, covered the Military Commissions Act, but we haven't really talked about some of the ways they've already started to use it. And they have. In fact, this story is a couple weeks old at this point. One of the first things they did after passing the Military Commissions Act of 2006, uh, Washington Post reporting, moving quickly to implement the bill signed by President Bush that authorizes military trials of enemy combatants. And remember, you can be deemed an enemy combatant by George Bush, uh, his little panel that he can form. Mm -hmm. He forms this sort of panel of whoever he wants. He can just appoint whoever, whichever one of his friends he wants Who, to. And who's going to say whatever he wants, too. Precisely. He's they, big on loyalty, you know. Ex oh, absolutely. Forget integrity. So he appoints this panel, and they can label you an enemy combatant for essentially materially supporting, which basically means, um, you know what, I don't have the exact um, terminology in front of me, but for whatever reason they want to is, is what it breaks down to. If, you ha um, if, if they don't like you, they can label you an enemy combatant, and you get picked up and locked away, and nobody will know where you are because you don't get the right to speak with counsel or anything like that. So anyway, they formally notified, here's what they've done, formally notified the U.S. District Court that it no longer has jurisdiction to consider hundreds of habeas corpus petitions filed by inmates at the Guantanamo Bay prison in Cuba. In a notice dated uh, recently on a Wednesday, the Justice Department listed 196 pending habeas cases, some of which cover groups of detainees. The new Military Commissions Act, it said, provides that, quote, no court, justice, or judge can consider those petitions or actions related to treatment or imprisonment filed by anyone designated as an enemy combatant now or in the future. Beyond those already imprisoned in Guantanamo Bay or elsewhere, the law applies to all non-U.S. citizens, including permanent U.S. residents. The new law already has been challenged as unconstitutional by lawyers representing the petitioners. The issue of detainee rights is likely to reach the Supreme Court for a third time. Habeas corpus, a Latin term meaning you have the body, is one of the oldest principles of English and American law. It requires the government to show a legal basis for holding a prisoner. A series of resolved federal court cases brought against the administration over the last several years by lawyers representing the detainees had left the question in limbo. Two years ago, in Rasul v. Bush, which gave the Guantanamo detainees the right to challenge their detentions before a U.S. court, and in this year's Hamdan v. Rumsfeld, where the Supreme Court appeared to settle the issue in favor of the, uh, the detainees, meaning that According to the Supreme Court, detainees could absolutely challenge them, uh, them being held. And so, as a result, they passed the Military Commissions Act to just sort of cut the head off of this beast 
and uh, make it so that none of those Supreme Court decisions mattered anymore. The new legislation gives Bush the authority to try detainees before military commissions, including uh, included a provision removing judicial review for all habeas claims. Immediately after Bush signed the act into law on the day that he did this, the Justice Department sent a letter to the United States Court of Appeals. Do you think they had this pre-written? I think they had this just ready, I think to, this rock was ready to go. Yeah, yeah. They sent the letter to the U.S. Court of Appeals for the District of Columbia Circuit, asserting the new authorities in informing the court it no longer had jurisdiction over a combined habeas case that had been under consideration since 2004. The the case was under consideration. The Justice Department just snatched it out from underneath the court. Said, "Sorry, we don't need habeas corpus anymore." Yep. The U.S. District Court cases, which had uh, been stayed pending the appeals court decision, were similarly invalid. The administration informed that court on Wednesday. A number of legal scholars and members of Congress have said that the habeas provision of the new law violates the clause of the Constitution that says the right to challenge detention shall not be suspended. What a surprise. Yeah, except in cases of rebellion or invasion, historically the Constitution has been interpreted to apply equally to citizens and non-citizens under U.S. jurisdiction. The administration's persistence on the issue, quote, demonstrates how difficult it is for the courts to enforce in the face of a resolute executive branch that is bound and determined to resist it. So essentially saying that as long as the government's willing to break its own rules, the rules don't matter anymore. If you've got one branch of government that's willing to completely ignore the Constitution that it swore an oath to uphold, because President Bush did swear uh, swear that oath. At least I'm pretty sure he did, unless they kind of they got it on film, buddy. Fooled us with some maybe movie magic or something like that. He swore an oath to the Constitution. The Constitution is the document that sets the guidelines, the rules for how the United States federal government is to operate. But essentially, if they are going to ignore all of those rules, the judges apparently can't do anything about it. I don't know what they could do about it. So if you're if you are to follow the rules of the Constitution, this whole government thing's supposed to work a little smoother. It's supposed to actually have checks and balances. But as long as you have one branch willing to just totally ignore it, what good is it? The administration's persist uh, on Tuesday. Well, the legislative branch is just a, just as bad. I mean, they voted to give the president these powers. Sure, and now that the Democrats are in control, they could do something about it, but, but they're, they're not going to because they want the power for themselves when their candidate might win in 2008. On Tuesday, the appeals court granted for a petition uh, granted a petition by lawyers for the detainees to argue against the new law. The uh, executive director of the Center for, Center for Constitutional Rights, which represents many of the detainees, said yesterday he expected the administration to file a motion for dismissal of all of the cases before the defense challenge is even heard. Quote, we and uh, the other habeas counsel are going to vigorously oppose dismissal of these cases. We're going to challenge that law as violating the Constitution on several grounds. Whichever side loses the upcoming court battles will then re- appeal to the Supreme Court. So it sounds as though that the entire Military Commissions Act is being challenged, or at least some of the provisions of it, it sounds like it may make it to the Supreme Court. I would think it would, uh, but, but it's going to take a couple, three years yeah. for that to happen. And how many people are they going to pick up off the streets in the meantime? Are you willing to give up a couple, three years of your life? No. No. How many people are they going to snatch up and throw into uh, unnamed military brigs for holding like they did with Jose Padilla? How many people are going to be tortured right here within the walls of this country? Because now, with the Military Commissions Act, they've essentially made it so the president can define the 
uh, what is it that what was the term that they used? They didn't call it torture. They called it uh, like creative uh, ways to I coerce information I from can't people. Remember that? No, I don't know. <laughs> there was just some flowery legal legal language that essentially meant that the president gets to define what is and what is not acceptable as far as torture is concerned. And they made it clear that the president also nobody is going to be able to talk about what these new definitions are. They're secret. Yeah. They're not telling you. So you you just have to trust old President Bush when he says, we, we're not going to torture. Just trust me. Tr- trust me. There's a law, no, there's a law and, and we're not going to torture. I'm going to set the rules, but I'm not going to tell you what the rules are. <laughs> and it's not torture unless I say it's right. torture. <laughs> it's just water water fun. We're taking them to the to the Wikiwachi Springs. <laughs> we're, giving, we're having a little fun with car batteries. Yeah. No big deal. Right. They like it. So how many people are going to be yanked off the streets and subjected to waterboarding, stress positions, being shackled and manacled in ice-cold rooms? Not being able to sleep, loud music played. Yeah. How, how much is this going to happen, and how many of us are going to know about it? As we pointed out What's recently... What's the point in it? And as, um, I don't understand it. It's just craziness. Just power. People in search of power over others. It's despicable. 800-259-9231 allows you to take control of the airwaves. Your thoughts on uh, the Military Commissions Act, especially if you support this idea of being able to just pick people off the streets and lock them up for no reason. It's Free Talk Live. This is Free Talk Live, Friday edition. As always, you can bring up whatever you want toll-free, 800-259-9231. That's the Packet 8 toll-free line, 1-800-259-9231. Ian here with me. And Mark. Join us on our website at freetalklive.com. Enjoy it all because it's free. Those other radio talk show hosts want to charge you for access to their membership features. Uh, we give it all away. If you are on the site, you're essentially a member. There's there's no um, fee to access the oodles of archives. We have an entire year's worth there, right there on the front page of the website. And more, all on the house. That we do ask that you vote for the show in return for giving all that stuff away. Go to vote.freetalklive.com. Cast your vote for Free Talk Live. It makes a big difference for us. Because those of you who have voted have helped propel us to the top of the podcast charts. I believe we're currently ranked at number four, thanks to those of you who have taken the time to go to uh, vote.freetalklive.com. So we need, if you have not gone, we need you to head over there and take a minute out of your time, vote for Free Talk Live. Because the the higher up we are on that top ten ranking, the more new listeners we're going to get. We're now number two. That's excellent. Um, and I think that has a lot to do with our friends over at Downsize DC. So big thanks to all the DC downsizers on that, um, because they sent out their notice today. That's right, to I the did downsizers. See it. Anyway, so those of you who voted, head over there now, vote.freetalklive.com. We're moving back up the charts, and it helps bring new people to the message of freedom and liberty. Great way to spread the word without having to spend any of your hard-earned money. Vote.freetalklive.com. All right, so let's talk cops. Apparently. Some cops were almost, almost a little too quick on the trigger. Luckily, they held back. Luckily, they held back in this particular case. And as a result, a father managed to stay alive. A father of five, in fact. Midvale, from the Salt Lake Tribune. A SWAT team sniper chambered around. Fixed his crosshairs on the suspected gunman at a Midvale youth football game Saturday and clicked off his safety. Suspect paced anxiously on the rooftop at Midvale Middle School, peering frequently over the wall at a football field clogged with hundreds of parents and players. Police say James Krantz intended to shoot all right, but not with a gun. The amateur cameraman, a sandy father of five, had scaled the school wall with a ladder at about 1 p.m. as teams prepared for a youth football game. He toted a long, slender bag on his back, a lawn chair that a neighbor mistook for a 
rifle case mm. and called the police. High above the competition, Kranz planned to shoot video of his of two of his children playing football, like lots of parents like to do. But the parents' rooftop roost led to an evacuation of hundreds of young athletes and spectators as police and SWAT team members descended on the school to apprehend a possible sniper. You think people are a little too antsy about this whole terrorism thing? It, it... People scared a little too much? This is all because of the government. The reason why people are so scared out there is because of the government rattling the sabers on this war on terror, insisting that they're going to come over here. Look out, everybody. Well, if we don't fight them in Iraq, they're going to come here. And so somebody spots a guy with a long bag on his back, and they presume that he's got a gun in there. Well, it's interesting that the police didn't want to do any police work here, go find out you know, uh, what the guy's up to or anything like that. They just put a sniper on him. Yeah, that, their their response is absolutely um, stunning. Thank goodness the sniper withheld from actually firing a bullet into this man's chest or head. Uh, apparently, SWAT team members descended on the school. Although uncertain about the threat at first, Midvale Police Sniper Jay Gwennon saw Kranz's behavior grew increasingly suspicious, and his location seemed superb for hitting anything below. Quote, I observed him pacing back and forth nervously, constantly looking. As a sniper, if I were to cause havoc, the spot he was at would have been the perfect spot. Two police officers had spotted the man from inside the school. From a second-story window, they ordered him to surrender. Get down, they shouted. Get on the ground. Show us your hands. Instead, Kranz turned and walked away, police said. We thought this person did have a rifle, said the police sergeant, Greg Olson. The way he was acting was very, very suspicious to us. When he refused to comply with the two officers who were trying to get him to go down on his knees and show his hands, we felt there was an absolute threat. Referees already had cleared much of the football field, ushering people into a parking lot that would separate them from the suspected shooter by a row of cars. Andre Dominguez, a Midville parent, reported hearing someone screaming, Shooting! Shooting! When officials ordered the field cleared, he was skeptical but followed fans off the field. Another spectator spotted SWAT team members scanning the rooftop with rifles and figured this wasn't a false alarm. Quote, when I saw the police looking through their scopes, following this guy across the roof, I thought it was for real, said Ron Watkins of Salt Lake City, and it was to so the police. It, it would have been if he got a bullet in the head. Instead of complying with police, Kranz hurried to the south side of the building and climbed down. Two officers with rifles greeted him below. Authorities ticketed Kranz for trespassing, then offered ordered him off of the school grounds. Kranz, who's 43, said he never heard the police when they were shouting at him. I mean, it was a football game, so I presume there was a lot of crowd noise and other things like that around. Could have happened. He thought the two officers shouting to him from a window were janitors. He said he was fiddling with <laughs> his camera, which he often uses to film the games for teams, and didn't notice anything unusual. Quote, I humbly apologize to officials, to the team's parents and children. It was nothing but an utter embarrassment, as though he has something to apologize about. It's the police and this fool that called him in are the ones that should be apologizing. The police say... Well, he probably should have got permission to be on the roof. Mm, okay. They wouldn't have given it to him. I humbly <laughs> apologize to officials, to the teams, the parents, and the children. The police handled the matter, quote, professionally and perfectly, he said. I would have carried it out in the same way if I were them. And yet the school top stunt could have killed him. Authorities say even the sound of a car backfiring would have triggered a deadly encounter. Olsen said, we're here, sure to, would have. we're here to try and protect the public. You don't hear many cars backfiring these days anymore. No, you know, I guess you don't. It's kind of uncommon. If we had perceived any type, could have been anything, though. I mean, somebody dropping a, a stack of trays in the kitchen or uh, anything that was a, you know, a loud noise could have set this sniper on edge. Yeah. I mean, he was already on edge. He believed this guy was 
looking to kill some kids. Yeah. Based on a call-in tip. That's all it took to get the police all hyped up and excited about this. A call-in tip. You know, if a cop had had, um, crawled up the ladder that this guy had had crawled up himself, obviously the ladder must have still been there, right? He crawled down. Right. So why couldn't they have just sent a guy up there and said, hey, what you doing up here? I mean, if it was a if it was a mad sniper, um, you would have foiled his plans right then and there, right? Mm-hmm. And if, I mean, if he was a madman, he he might have tried to turn on the police and shoot. But these guys are trained to handle these circumstances. The cop could have come come up with a gun in his hands. I mean, th- th- like you say, Mark, it wouldn't have been hard for them well, to ascertain what was really going on here. If I, I mean, if the guy does have a gun, he has a rifle, and the, and the cop pops his head up. It's not like he's going to be waiting for somebody to pop their head up and get them get him within a split second. He's going to. Be surprised by that. Obviously, oh, he, right. he was scanning somebody. the field. He wasn't watching the ladder that he was scaling. So he would have a, a brick wall between him and the gun, and you know the the supposed gunman. He'd be safe. The cop would. Well, either way, that would have been the appropriate response instead yeah. of setting a team of snipers uh, to train their weapons on this guy. I mean, is it really appropriate? I mean, look, I'm not a cop, and if you are, and if you're on the SWAT team, and you want to call in and explain this, eight hundred two five nine ninety two thirty one. But is it really appropriate? To take a gun, um, if if you're a cop, is it appropriate to take your sniper rifle and train it on a man who is obviously unarmed? If he's got a bag on his back, that's a long, scary-looking black bag that could contain a gun. He couldn't have had that on. You're not going to carry around the lawn chair bag um, after you put the lawn chair up. I don't know if he put the lawn chair up. I'm not sure about that. Let's presume that this guy was standing... Uh, at this wall, looking out over the field, he's got this long, ominous black bag on his back to where he's going to have to go through a few motions in order to remove the gun from the bag, if it indeed was a sniper rifle or something like that in there. Remove the gun from the bag, train it on the players on the field. It's going to take at least a few seconds. Now, I'm not a sniper. I've not been trained in this. And uh, I understand that if you've been trained, you can be pretty proficient at it. But nonetheless, if you've got a, sni- a police sniper on a rooftop nearby keeping an eye on this dude, they're going to know if he's going for the gun, right? Right. It's going to be clear as to whether or not he actually has a weapon in his hands. Is it appropriate to train a rifle on someone if it's clear that they are unarmed at that point? I don't Especially see like a rifle it, uh, with the safety off. Right. I don't think it is appropriate at all. These snipers um, usually have spotters. They, they, they work in teams of two. They do. There's the sniper yeah. and the spotter. The spotter doesn't have a gun. He doesn't have a sniper rifle, at least. And his job is to watch the situation. So they must have known that the man didn't have a weapon in his hands. They just said he was acting suspicious. I don't think the police should be training guns on people if they're just acting suspicious. Now, if he were to whip a gun out of that uh, backpack, then at that case, yeah, flip off the safety and uh, get ready for something to happen. I just I feel I find like I find that their uh, response here was way overdone, way out of control. I'd have to agree. Fortunately, nothing happened. Thank goodness. Now then, in other police-related news, Mark, you've got a story about a police chief that was honest about his force. Now we have observed over time. My girlfriend and I, for instance, have observed that. It seems like when the cops get hired when they're young, you know, they've got the shaved head, the sort of skinhead sort of look, and they're really big and buff and tough guys, right? Well, as it turns out, as police tend to get older, 
they get tenured. They can't get fired, so they know that it's not as important to be as buff and tough as they once were. So they sort of let it all hang out, start eating more donuts, get a little pudgy. Well, one police chief was honest about all this. We'll find out what happened to him as a result of it. Coming up in Hour 3, you take control of the airwaves. This is your show. Anything goes. 800-259-9231. The Packet 8 toll-free line for you. It's Free Talk Live. With your help, we can spread the message of liberty around the world. Consider becoming a Free Talk Live amplifier for just $3 a month now at amp.freetalklive.com. If you can't afford it, keep enjoying us for free. If you can spare the three, visit amp.freetalklive.com. This is Free Talk Live. We're kicking off Hour 3, Friday edition. You bring up whatever's on your mind, toll-free. 800-259-9231. That's the Packet 8 toll-free line for you, 1-800-259-9231. It's Ian here with you. And Mark. Join us on our website at freetalklive.com. All of the features you'll find are for free. freetalklive.com. All right, so Mark, we were going to talk about a police, certain police chief who was a little bit honest about his force and the physical, I guess, attributes of some of the officers on his squad. What happened in this case? Because he was punished, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah, it it wasn't good. Punished for his honesty. Pretty sad. Yep, from uh, KOMOTV.com, from Winter Haven, Florida, Police Chief Paul Goward was uh, tired of looking around his department and seeing blubber hanging over the belts of some of his officers. (laughs) So he sent out a memo exhorting the jelly bellies to shape up. They've got jelly bellies in quotation. I suspect he used that in the memo, (laughs) which isn't terrible. I mean, he could have said fat butts or something like that. Fat Fs. Anything. In the end, the department (laughs) lost 190 pounds, all of them belonging to Goward. Oh, no. He was forced out as chief um, because some of his officers took offense to the memo. Unbelievable. The October 11 memo bruised feelings in the 80-member um, oh, force. Those poor babies. Yeah, tro- poor fat jelly bellies. Yeah. Um, drew at least one anonymous letter of complaint from officers about the chief's management style and made his department the butt of jokes about fat cops and donuts. If they got their feelings hurt to the extent of do something about it, then I did what I was intending to do, said the unapologetic Goward, a, tra- a trim six-footer who was... Uh, forced to resign his $92,000 a year post last Mm -hmm. week. Some of the chief's defenders said his ouster was a big overreaction. No kidding. He offered tremendously good advice, yet he was sacked, um, wrote Thomas Rowe, uh, Olt, a columnist for the Ledger of Lakeland. Right, because you can't offend a bureaucrat. God knows. They own their jobs, and they cannot be relieved of them, except if you say something offensive. Like, if you say something offensive as a bureaucrat, and some other bureaucrats are offended, apparently that's enough to uh, fire you, but... Shoot a dog, uh, destroy you know, destroy people's lives, ransack a house. That, none of those things will get you in trouble as a cop. But but call the call another cop. Right, fat, fat and then you're in big trouble. Which in of his, course is the truth, the absolute truth. The older the cops get, the fatter they get. In his memo entitled "Are You a Jelly Belly?", the chief never singled anyone out, and apart from the title, didn't call anyone names. Instead, he provided a list of ten reasons police officers should be in shape. He said overweight police poorly represent the profession, poop out when chasing suspects, and might have to resort to a higher level of force if a criminal got the upper hand in a fight. He said out-of-shape cops are a liability to the city and to their families. Sure. Take a good look at yourself, he wrote. If you're unfit, do yourself and everyone else a favor. See a professional about proper diet and fitness training program. Quit smoking. Limit alcohol intake. And start thinking self-pride. Confidence. Respectability. The reason why he approached it in this way is because he can't demand it of them. 
he can't say, all right, you've got six months to get in shape or you're out of here. Yep. He can't do that, and he knows it. He knows these guys have uh, tenured positions to where they cannot be fired. So he had to take sort of a, you know, a, a suggestive approach. Okay, guys, you know, maybe this is not a good idea. You're going to, you know, you're putting people at risk. You're putting the department at risk. I mean, if you care about uh, being a cop, maybe you should shape up. I can't make you do it. But here's a, you know, a few reasonable suggestions for you. That's and why he approached it in this way. Whereas if it was any other job, if the people that were performing their duties were not up to par, you could absolutely say, look, you get it together or you're out of here. He can't do that, though. And for his suggestions, he got can't. ousted. Yeah. Stop making excuses for delaying what you know you should have been doing years ago. We didn't hire you unfit, and we don't want you working unfit. Mm-hmm. Don't um, don't mean to be offended. This is just straight talk. I owe it to you. Winter Haven cops Jeez. must pass physical examinations to be hired, but are not yep. regularly tested for fitness thereafter. Oh, it's that way all over the country. Mm-hmm. Goward 60, that's the police chief, said he is not a fitness freak and not asking for a department full of Arnold Schwarzeneggers here <laughs> and did not order his officers to stay away from fast food restaurants or donut shops. In fact, the 36-year police veteran who has also worked in Kansas and South Carolina said Winter Haven's force is no less fit than others he's served on. Sure, there's fat cops everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> oh God, Ian! David Green, manager of the Central Florida city of thirty thousand, said a spokeswoman that said to a spokeswoman that he was busy for too busy for an interview, but told the local newspapers the anonymous complaint letter made it clear that the police department had a morale problem because of Goward's abrasive management style during his two and a half years there. <laughs> if he had just stopped criticizing, we would feel better. You know, I didn't hear anything. I didn't hear anything abrasive in this memo. No, jelly bellies. It seems like it was really uh, tactfully written. It seems like he's a really straightforward dude, and uh, he was really honestly concerned about the physical uh, prowess of his police department. And it seemed like a totally reasonable thing for him to do. I absolutely don't. You expect? I mean, don't you want your cops and firefighters to be in the best physical shape possible? Uh, no, I want my fire my cops to be feeling good about themselves, whether they're fat or not. Shouldn't these guys? And this man hurt their feelings, and our police's feelings should be the primary factor here. Mark, how dare you? Shouldn't these guys be getting an annual fitness test? Well, yes. <laughs> I mean, it's just I, I just don't understand. They're hired to keep us safe, and if they're hired if, if they're hired at a certain fitness level to keep us safe, shouldn't they be maintain that fitness mm. level at least to some extent? Yeah, but they're not actually hired to keep us safe. That's just the PR mark. I know. You and I know uh, that they're hired to protect and serve the state. They're hired to protect and serve the interests of the government, and those interests don't have anything to do with protecting you and I. They do it from time to time just to show that they're still out there and that people shouldn't hate them totally. But for the most part, um, as far as the Supreme Court is concerned, police have no obligation to protect anybody. So, And obviously they have no obligation to uh, protect their waistline either. Apparently not. Emotions within the police department and the relationship with the police chief became raw, said the ledger. Winter Haven officers um, contracted... A- contacted by the uh, Associated Press, said they um, they were told not to talk to reporters about Goward's departure. <laughs> of course, got to cover your butt when, when you work for the state. One of the anonymous complaints letters described the force as upset, to say the least, about the chief and called the Jelly Belly Memo the icing on the cake. The letter shows the type of harassment and hostile work environment um, we <laughs> harassment. have. Harassment. This is harassment? <laughs> The, chief, the police chief is constantly bad-talking us in every way possible, and oh, we've had enough of, of his babies. arrogance. I've had enough of your crap, you whiny punks. 
800-259-9231. I mean, who wants to, really, with these stupid rules, the, the, the government bureaucracies are so bass-ackwards, aren't they? I mean, in any other, uh, in any other, in a real business, if your employees aren't up to spec, you get rid of them and you bring in people that are going to do the job the way they're supposed to. In a government bureaucracy, if your employees aren't up to spec, well, you better shut the f up or you're going to get fired. Yeah, you can't talk. You can't talk mean to them. Otherwise, right. they'll get upset and they'll have you fired. I, I have no respect. Mean, it's I hostile tell you, telling us that we have to lose weight. It's hard for me to respect the police after articles like this. I mean, it's bad enough that they're smashing people's heads in over uh, marijuana and killing family dogs on the side of the road uh, because just because they can and they're trigger happy and killing people's dogs in their homes. It's bad enough all the terrible things that they do, but to whine because they were called to cry because the police you called in the jelly belly. I'm going to go home and cry in my pillow at night because he hurt my feelings and I'm a police officer and I trained really hard for this job. And now I deserve to keep it no matter what shape I'm in. Yep. That's what it is. Mandy R., a 40-year-old nursing student and Winter Haven resident, said Goward had the right message but perhaps could have delivered it differently. (laughs) What? How could he have candy-coated that any better? I, I couldn't think of a better uh, memo as far as... I've seen plenty of memos critiquing plenty of uh, people in business, and that one was really good. Like, I was proud of uh, that cop for writing it that way. He did a good job with that. Yep. I'd she, have given him a medal over that. Mandy says, I think, honestly, our police force needs a lot of shaping up, and I think they should be fit, not just um, when they're hired, but through their time. So Yeah, good luck getting that regulation passed, because if you actually, as a city council member, decide to uh, put up some sort of a resolution that says, and we will now require uh, yearly or biannual physical inspections of each police officer, the police people, the union or whatever, the brotherhood, is going to oppose that to the death. They are not going to want to see that regulation imposed, and they'll have no real reasons beyond just the fact that they want to be lazy, donut-eating bureaucrats. It's hard work. 800-259-9231. Do you feel bad for the poor baby police officers? No one's going to call in on that one. Yeah, this is your show. You take control of the airwaves. Rick's coming up. Your calls as well. Also, some bad and good news about sex offenders. Free Talk Live. This is Free Talk Live, and you can take control of the airwaves, bring up what you want. Toll free, 800-259-9231, the Packet 8 toll-free line for you. 1-800-259-9231. You can join us on our website at freetalklive.com. All of the features on the site are totally free, and that does include the Shrine of Female listeners with the dozens and dozens of ladies from around the world that have sent us their validated photo to be included in the Shrine. You can join them as well. Just go to shrine.freetalklive.com to see what it's all about. That's shrine.freetalklive.com. Register now for the New Hampshire Liberty Forum. February the 23rd to the 25th, 2007. Meet libertarian superstars John Stossel, Michael Badnark, and Free Talk Live. The most influential libertarians... I don't know if we're superstars. Well, I added that in there. The most influential libertarians in America will be there. Like Free Talk Live. Stop it. <laughs> Free State Project. Go to freestateproject.org slash Liberty Forum. That's freestateproject.org slash Liberty Forum. It's going to be a lot of fun. There's going to be a lot of really cool events going on there, and it's going to give the, it's going to give a bunch of people a chance to have an excuse to come to New Hampshire and check out the uh, check out the soon to be free state. Yep. All right. Uh, 800-259-9231, The Packet Eight Toll Free Line. As we uh, talk about sex offenders, yes. 
Nobody likes the sex offenders. Heck, we can just do whatever we want to these guys, apparently. you got a sex offender registry, and now we're going to make it so they can't live near a park or a school. And In fact, uh, we might even put, a, put them on a GPS anklet for their entire lives. Let's look at what California is looking at doing. The U.S. District Court, uh, this is again a little bit of good news, a little bit of bad news, all in the same article from MercuryNews.com. The U.S. Circuit Court Judge Susan Ilston in San Francisco on Wednesday halted enforcement of a new law intended to bar sex offenders from living near California's parks and schools. One day after 70% of voters passed it, Ilston ruled a controversial provision of Proposition 83, also known as Jessica's Law, had a substantial likelihood of being unconstitutional. Banishing a sex offender from living in his or her home could be punitive in design and effect and deprive the already punished offender of their rights, Ilston said in ruling on a lawsuit filed by an anonymous sex offender who lives in the Bay Area. A full hearing on the matter is scheduled for later this month. If Ilston finds the law is indeed unconstitutional, it could protect the 60,000-plus offenders already living throughout the state from having to comply with the restriction. Legal challenges were widely expected against the proposition, which has caused much confusion over its legality, practicality, cost, and effectiveness in stopping predatory sex crimes against children. Critics have said the 2,000-foot predator-free zones would punish thousands of sex offenders, excuse me, push thousands of sex offenders out of cities and into homelessness or underground. Or as we found in some other states where apparently this law hasn't been challenged and has, they, they have similar laws elsewhere. Where What it's found to have been done is that since there are so many schools and so many parks, if you take a, uh, you know, a, a compass and draw concentric circles around each of these 2,000-mile radius zones... Not 2,000 miles. 2,000 foot, excuse me. 2,000 foot radius zones, um, it essentially covers the entire city that you're talking about. Sure. To where if you're a sex offender, and again, a sex offender can be somebody who peed behind a tree at a public park... If you're a sex offender, you can't even live in the city that you once lived in. You're going to have to go to the outskirts. So if you want to keep working in the job that you have, instead of going somewhere else, if you want to keep having the same, somewhat of the same life you had, you have to move outside of the city limits. And then they found that there's only certain places where people, these people can go, and they were ending up living at the same motel together. Like all of the sex offenders would have to essentially move to the same place, the same trailer park, or the same. <laughs> and of course, any kid that lived near there could be in great danger. Yeah. You know, the the other thing about this is um, that they don't. That I think that this what the judge is getting at is um, this is punishment. This is additional punishment being yes, meted out upon people who didn't realize they were getting it. So when they signed their plea agreement, when, which in all likelihood is what happened, mm -hmm. um, or they were meted out their punishment. They didn't. This was not given to them. This right. is given later. The voters voted this in. Right. Seventy percent of them. And uh, this is just proof positive that democracy is a bad thing. Yeah, bad idea. The majority is not the way uh, to go. Respecting everybody's freedoms is. Yeah, you know. And so, if you got convicted of something twenty years ago, you've gotten your life straight. You got a family going now. You've got your own business. Right. Suddenly, I've got to pick up and move because, because some voter decided so. Yeah. I hope that this judge makes and a sense. What about where I work? I mean, if it's so if it's so important where I live, what about where I work? That's okay. That's that hasn't been outlawed yet. That's next though, because if they get away with it, I mean, every step is one step closer to turning these people into complete social pariahs and completely outcasting them from society. And is that really what you want to do? 
Doesn't do, seem like it to me. Do you want to create roving bands of sex offenders uh, going from place to place in this country because they can't find a place to stay? Legal outlaws. Uh, one San on one San Jose sex offender's wife, one sex offender's wife who declined to be identified, g- gasped with relief at the news Wednesday and applauded the judge's decision. Can you imagine this, Mark? A sex offender actually has a wife. You mean these guys aren't always going to be sex offenders? You mean there's a chance that they could turn their lives around? Some of the statistics show that uh, thieves are a heck of a lot more likely to uh, reoffend than sex offenders. And even if it's the case that some sex offenders reoffend, does that justify punishing all of them? No. It doesn't seem like it to me. She gasped with relief and applauded the judge's decision. The 67-year-old woman said she and her husband, who was convicted of a sex offense more than 40 years ago, wow. were terrified they would be forced to move away from their longtime condominium, which is right across the street from a park. Our friends are here. Our families are nearby, she said. I don't want to move from my home. This new law is like someone coming after you in a witch hunt. Local prosecutors and law enforcement said they weren't surprised that the pro- uh, proposition has become so quickly challenged and snared in the courts. San Jose police declined comment on the ruling. Daniel Aconquo, who prosecutes sex offender registration violations for the Santa Clara DA's office, said his office would not pursue any violations of the new law pending the outcome of the court case. Well, that's nice of you, Daniel. San Mateo County Chief Deputy District Attorney so-and-so said that the law enforcement in- enforcement agencies in the county had been nervously calling in recent weeks to ask if they were responsible for rounding up any sex offenders living within the 2,000-foot zones. Wagstaff said they recommended everyone wait and see what happens in the courts. Prosecutors said they would also look to the attorney's, uh, Attorney General's office for guidance. We believe Proposition 83 is constitutional and look forward to defending the initiative in court and resolving any other legal questions as quickly as possible so that law enforcement can begin implementing it. I can't see how they would imagine that it's constitutional. The state Senate, uh, George Runner, the Lancaster Republican who you know, wrote the proposition. We're lucky this wasn't Florida because it, then it would have been an amendment to the Constitution mm-hmm. and then it would have been constitutional. Mm said uh, Ilston had misunderstood the law's intent and called her ruling premature and ridiculous. This is the guy that wrote the law. He said the law was never intended to target the 60,000-plus sex offenders who were already convicted, sentenced, or living in the community. It would only apply to offenders who were caught as of the law's passage. Proposition 83, however, has no language grandfathering <laughs> in such offenders. Then how the, Then how the heck was it supposed to do that? In his imagination, Mark. He would, he's just... Talking through his butthole in this in this particular case. Apparently he is. The proposition is named for Jessica Lunsford, a nine-year-old Florida girl who was kidnapped, raped, and killed by a convicted, se- a convicted sex offender last year. More than 70% of voters approved the measure Tuesday. So, as you pointed out, Mark, what good is it going to do if you force these people to move out of the area? Are we going to also prevent them in the future from coming into these zones at any point? Is that the inevitable next step? Because this guy that... They'll all just buy big white vans. Right. The guy that raped and kidnapped and killed this nine-year-old Florida girl, if he wants to go out and rape and kidnap somebody, he's not going to be stopped by some silly regulations. More on the way. Are we out of line on this? Do you support this ban on sex offenders living where they want? It's Free Talk Live. Would you like to help others find Free Talk Live? You can help us advertise, market, and promote the show at amp.freetalklive.com. Consider becoming a Free Talk Live amplifier now for $3 a month and get some cool bonuses at amp.freetalklive.com.
This is Free Talk Live, your show. You take control, bring up what you want, toll free, 800-259-9231. It's Ian here with you. And Mark. That's 1-800-259-9231. That is the Packet 8 toll free line for you, packet8.com, for all of your voice over IP needs. So, we are talking about this rule, this new regulation or law, I guess, that the voters in California passed by an overwhelming margin, 70% of them voting to uh, for what was called Jessica's Law. Because Jessica Lumsford, a nine-year-old Florida girl, was kidnapped, raped, and killed by a convicted sex offender last year in California, apparently. Bad news. And that's a sad, tragic story. But because one sex offender reoffends doesn't mean that all sex offenders will reoffend, and it doesn't mean they should all be lumped together into a group of pariahs that are going to be outcast for the rest of their lives. I now, can't see that that's going to really. Uh, I can't see that that's going to solve anything. It's going to make them more likely to be desperate, lonely. Men. Yeah. Right. Nobody wants to talk to them. So what are they going to do? They're going to go and. Get, what else can they do? They can't live where they want to live. They don't have the promise of a real life after they get out of prison right. or get off you know, probation or whatever it is that they have. That's not going for them. Your life is ruined. You, your life has been ruined for good. It doesn't matter how many years you spent in jail. Now we can do whatever we want to you after the fact. After the fact of your conviction, after the fact of your release, now we're going to just add on some extra rules and regulations that you have to live by. Oh, what's that? You already live across from a park? You've been out of jail for 40 years? Well, so what? Now you get to move out of town because we don't like your type around here. Oh, what's that? You say you're an upstanding member of the community now? Well, 40 years ago you were a sex offender, buddy. And once a sex offender, always a sex offender in our book. Why? Because we're the law and what we say goes. Yep. This is really sad, man. Hey-ho, the pervert's got to go. Well, you know, and again, I just don't understand. I mean, it really just all seems to be for show to me. All of it just seems to be for the benefit of of this uh, Senator George Runner, the Republican who wrote the proposition. It seems to be for for his benefit and any other politician that got behind him on this and got on television and said, I think you should vote for Proposition 83 because these lowlifes have got to get ejected from our community. Yay! I'm tough on crime. Yeah, that's all it is. That's all it is. Total symbolism because this is not going to do anything to protect nine-year-old children or anybody else from being offended on by a sex offender. And there's very concrete reasons why. Because if you're a sicko, and it's your thing in life to uh, touch little children or whatever, murder them, rape them, or worse, whatever, if that's your thing, the law isn't going to stop you. Clearly didn't stop them the first time. No, it didn't. And making it so all of the sex offenders have to move out of town isn't going to stop those who are determined to murder and rape and uh, molest children. All they're going to do is live out in the desert someplace, buy a a white van, and go club their victims over the head and put them in the van and take them away. No, they don't have to do that. They just use the puppy thing. Okay, whatever. Hi, kids. I've got a puppy, and it's lost. Will you come help me find it? Sure, mister. Well, hop right into my van here. That's how it works. They tried it on ABC News, and it works uh, very well. What about women? Do they do they fall for the same tricks? Um, um, what the puppy in the van? No, not not the puppy in the van. <laughs> Maybe I don't know. Um, but I re- I remember one time uh, I was going to. This has been some time. I was going to college, and uh, mm-hmm. I saw a girl walking along the side of the road. Clearly, she was going into the same direction. I live very close to the college, 
And um, I, you know, pulled over and said, you're going to the college? She said, yeah. I said, would you like a ride? She said, okay. Mm. And she got in the car. Yeah. Now You could this, have been a murderer. I, I could have, but you see, the thing is, is, I was very close to the college. I was in a car that wasn't tented or anything like that. Right. Um, it seems to me that you should be just be able to offer rides like that, and people should take you up on them. Okay. She said, uh, she said I can't believe I got into the car with a stranger. And I said, well, looks like you got about three pounds of metal hanging out of your face, and I'm, a str- and I'm strange. <laughs> oh, she so, was all pierced up? Yeah, she was all pierced up. Anyway, she thought that was kind of funny. And I <laughs> dropped her off. Never saw the girl again sure. or anything like that. Just gave somebody a ride to school. Right. So my point here is that um, you can pass all the laws you want. You can pass a law that says that sex offenders uh, cannot come into the city zone, the, you know, the city radius at all, because they might hurt some little children, and they'll find ways around it. They will. Um, and, of course, now the, the next logical step here is to give them GPS tracking units and track them 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And is that really the answer? No, of course not. Will I that, certainly don't want to pay for it. No. Will that protect children? Well, maybe a little bit. It might deter a few of them from uh, reoffending unless they can figure out a way to cut the anklet off. That might actually be somewhat effective. But would that make, make it so parents would feel safe? Because if parents feel safe after laws like this... They're fooling themselves, and they are putting their children at excessive risk. Because if you believe that the government's uh, programs are going to keep your kids safe from sickos, you are mistaken. There are a whole bunch of people out there that haven't been caught yet. Catholic priests, people that just haven't been busted, the ones that are smarter, the ones that are more creative. They're the ones that are out there offending and probably reoffending. And probably won't ever get caught. So to think that because these laws have been passed that all of a sudden San Francisco and the entirety of California and the rest of America that have similar laws on the books, banning sex offenders from living in certain places, to think that makes you safe? It doesn't. And it doesn't exonerate you from teaching your children to stay away from strangers. You know, to not talk to the weird guys and the the friendly guys or anybody that they don't know. Because it doesn't make them safe. Yeah, it's, it's it just inconveniences. It people. looks like they've done studies on this, and the kids really can't identify what a stranger is. That's true. If it's somebody with a puppy dog, apparently they're not a stranger, according to the kids. So, if you are a parent and you want to keep your kids safe, please don't leave that responsibility to the government, because you're going to find that your kids are going to be murdered and raped and left on the side of the road eventually. And the cops aren't going to be responsible for it. Nope. No, they're not. And, you're and, just, they sh- and they shouldn't be, quite honestly. And you'll just cry yourself to sleep for the rest of your life because you believe the government was going to protect your children. And that's what, the po- that's what these bureaucrats and these elected officials are positioning themselves as doing. Look to me, Senator George Runner from uh, California. I'm the protector of the children. Look to my laws to keep your children safe. Sorry, no. Your laws are just words on paper, Senator. And words on paper have never stopped men who are determined from doing what they want, from doing um, for doing what they want, from doing what they want. Sorry, that's just reality. Yeah, I, I, I can't see that this is going to do anything but create, um, create a lot of hardship for a lot of guys that are trying to go straight. Yep. And create uh, enclaves of uh, rapist pariahs that are going to have to live in in groups. Um, out, outside of town. It's what's happening. It is happening in other places where the law hasn't been frozen. 
where a judge hasn't hasn't stepped in. The judge stepped in in California, but these laws are also on the books in other states, and they are existing. I thought it was mostly other states and other towns, though. I didn't know that it was states. Yeah, I don't know if the entire state. You're right about that. I'm not sure if it's an entire other states. But then again, I don't know. You know, we just see stories from time to time about this. We certainly aren't following all of the sex offender laws that are being passed, and they sure do love to pass laws against sex offenders. They're like cigarette smokers, but worse. Everybody hates sex offenders, so you get to pick on them. Even the cigarette smokers. Yeah, yeah apparently so. <laughs> Boy, can you imagine being a cigarette smoking sex offender? You want to talk about um, restrictions. Bad news for you. So look, you want to keep your kids safe? Be with them. If you can't be with them, then do your best to train them not to talk to people they don't know. Okay? That's the best way to do it. Please don't rely on the government databases and the silly government rules, because you're going to be disappointed, and hopefully not in a way that may uh, that results in the loss of your child or the loss of their innocence or all of that. 800-259-9231. Uh, that's it on this one. 1-800-259-9231. I'd still love to hear from somebody that thinks that this is a good idea. Somebody that thinks that banning sex offenders from being with, uh, from living within 2,000 feet of parks and schools is a good idea. Please, explain it to me. The Packet A toll-free line for you. 1-800-259-9231. On the way. We talk about regulations on this show and how it is that they are used to strangle the little guy to keep competition out of industries. But what about product recalls? This is a fascinating story coming up here from uh, CNNMoney.com about how recalls are actually also a way for anti-competitive behavior to be going on. Free Talk Live. More coming up. This is Free Talk Live. Only moments remain in this the Friday edition. Still enough time for your call if you make it now. 800-259-9231. That's the packet 8 toll-free line for you. That's 1-800-259-9231. Ian here with you. And Mark. Hey, join us on our website, freetalklive.com. All of the features you will find are for free. Archives, wiki updates, live streaming, the bulletin board system, Shrine of Female Listeners, and more. We give it all away, though we do ask that you amp the show in return. Go to amp.freetalklive.com to become a Free Talk Live amplifier, as over 300 of our listeners have done. I was being interviewed for the South Florida Radio Pages or something. I think that's the name of it. I'm not quite sure. I don't have it in front of me. But there's a uh, kind of a radio fan publication, I guess, down in uh, Florida. It's probably an email one. Okay. And the, um, the guy who's behind it was interviewing me for, I guess, an article that he was doing. And he asked me about our listeners, you know, if I had anything to say about them. And I said, well, our listeners are just awesome. I mean, they're paying for our advertising budget. And over 300 of them are as a part of the AMP program. It stands for Advertise, Market, and Promote. It's simple. You send us three bucks a month. It's totally voluntary. Enjoy the website for free. So this is up above and beyond all of the features that we give you for free on the website. Three bucks a month. We take it in and we turn it back around into promotion and advertising for Free Talk Live. We buy industry advertisements in Talkers Magazine. Half-page ads, Neil Bortz, Stephanie Miller, all these big-name shows that are around the country, they're buying half-page ads. So are we. Yeah. Thanks to you. It puts us on an even playing field with the big boys. That's right. It's all about, it's all about how you look. <laughs> I mean, everybody, anybody... That's what radio is. Right. It's all about appearances. So we're kind of playing ball with the, with the, with the big boys because of you guys. Um, we're also advertising on the Internet, getting new Internet listeners on board as well, new people discovering the message of freedom and liberty. And every new radio station we get on board means new listeners also hearing uh, Free Talk Live. So if it's valuable, if that's a good idea, if you like the show and you want to help support us, that's the best way to do it. Go to amp.freetalklive.com and advertise, market, and promote Free Talk Live. 
So we talk about regulations on Free Talk Live from time to time and how they are used to keep businesses down, to prevent competition, to protect existing businesses. In many cases, we usually talk about regulations from the perspective of keeping somebody new out of an industry. For instance, the existing manufacturers, the existing people in the industry will get together and form a regulatory board. They'll volunteer for the government's regulatory board and create new onerous uh, costly regulations for anybody else to that that has to uh, new hoops for them to jump through in order to get into that business. The old businesses are always grandfathered in; they don't have to adhere to the regulations. So that's normally how we approach this issue. Or even if they do have to adhere, they can afford it because they're already in business. Right. So it makes it difficult for the new guys, the mom and pops, the startups to get in and compete. Um, so it's anti-competitive these regulations, and. So are a lot of other regulations, including some that I hadn't even thought of before. And this article from uh, CNN Money, just does a Fortune Small Business Magazine, just does a great job of pointing out how uh, regulations are being used against existing businesses as well. Specifically, the regulation that people normally think of as protecting them. Recalls. Consumer product recalls. I never really knew very much about how these things worked. But after you hear about this, you'll know as much as I, because this is stunning. The sound of packing tape from being being torn from its roll echoes through the nearly empty warehouse of Boston Billows, a maker of nursing pillows in Nashua, New Hampshire. Only two executives, the co-founders themselves, remain at the company, which last year employed seven. Having laid everyone else off, they struggle to sew and ship the pillows, which support newborn babies as they breastfeed. Over the past two years, annual revenues at Boston Billows have shrunk from $750,000 to less than 15000 That's not good. We just canceled our UPS account, says co-founder Ken Igo, 57. The cash-strapped company could no longer afford the $40 a month fee required for daily pickup. Boston Billows' decline stems from a single catastrophic event, a 2004 decision by the U.S. Consumer Product Safety Commission that forced the company to recall its pillows. Company president Eric Skoog, 73, claims that the recall was unwarranted and that his nursing pillows have never been linked to any deaths or injuries. Ten hospitals still order and use them in neonatal intensive care units, including Children's Hospital in Boston and the Cincinnati Children's Hospital Medical Center. Hospitals, by the way, are exempt from the recall. The CPSC is the federal agency charged with ensuring the safety of household wares. Surely you've heard of them in the past. I have. Surely you've heard of these uh, product recalls before. People always think, oh, this is good news. I mean, we're finding out about things that are going to keep us safe. But here's the other side of the story. In 2005, it issued 400 recalls, affecting more than 330 companies. Congress established the CPSC in 1972 to reduce injuries caused by products such as kitchen gadgets and toys. But the agency has been controversial virtually since its creation. Consumer advocates say it doesn't do enough to get unsafe products off the market quickly because for some reason businesses just want to hurt their customers. As though the marketplace wouldn't be able to handle these uh, recalls on its own. Business owners, though, consider it a meddlesome, heavy-handed bureaucracy. Yet the Boston Billows case shows that the rules under which the CPSC operates often favor big corporations over small businesses. Well, that's, that's generally the way it goes with government anyway. Companies with deep pockets and in-house legal counsel can negotiate virtually every step of the recall process, even dispute whether a recall should happen at all. But a small business under CPSC scrutiny 
often finds itself in a fight it can't afford. Because remember, the government has an unlimited budget. Right. They don't have to pay for the fight. And it's their courts, too. Often finds itself in a fight it can't afford and usually has no choice but to comply. Boston Billows has been contesting the recall of its product for two years. Scug and Igo, angered by the CPSC's inefficiency and what they consider its disregard for their arguments and evidence, say they don't have the money to hold out much longer. The CPSC, through a spokes bureaucrat, declined to speak about the specifics of the Billows case. Scug says, we just want to continue to sell our product. We know from the medical community that it helps save lives. Before the recall, the U.S. Department of Agriculture brought the, uh, bought the company's pillows for low-income communities where mothers weren't properly breastfeeding. It's a needed product, says Skug. That's why we'll continue to fight. Skug was born in Norway and studied at Harvard on a Fulbright scholarship in the 1960s. He spent more than 30 years in management and marketing positions with Siemens, Volkswagen, and finally Nashua Corp., an imaging technology company in Nashua. While there, he hired Igo, and the two hit it off. By the mid-1990s, both had quit the company and shared office space in Nashville working on consulting projects. They realized that before retiring, they wanted to launch into an entrepreneurial venture. On a tip from a childhood friend in Norway who runs a pillow company, Skug bought the license for a nursing pillow that had proved popular in European hospitals for more than 25 years. In the United States, about a dozen firms sell a similar product, mostly in major retail chains. The market leader is Boppico, based in Golden, Colorado, which posts about $18 million in annual sales. Now, remember, the Boston Billows Company was at $750,000 in Lot annual sales. Boppy sells its nursing pillow in chains such as Target and Toys R Us. Most nursing pillows are filmed with, uh, filled with foam or polyfiber, but the European pillow picked up by Boston Billows used plastic beads, which are denser and designed to firm up under the weight of the baby. Hmm. According to several lactation consultants, uh, nurses that work with new mothers in hospitals, Boston Billows, uh, Billows pillow makes it easier for a baby, especially one born prematurely, to latch onto its mother's breast. Boston Billows provides more support under a baby's head than competing pillows, says Diane DeSandro, a lactation consultant for 25 years who's based in Pennsylvania. It holds shape, she says. There's nothing else out there that does that. Other products, DeSandro says, compress under the newborn's weight so the mother has to support the baby's weight with her arms. Because and if she's, um, you know, some gal that doesn't really understand how to do that mm -hmm. very well, the baby could be, you know, it would be hard for the baby to nurse. So because their pillow's design was already popular in European hospitals, Ego and Skug decided to market it through lactation consultants and hospital retail shops in the U.S. By 2003, after five years in business, Boston Billows was selling its product in more than 70 hospital retail shops. Its revenues hit $750,000. That June, Skug and Ego received a letter from Bopico mm. claiming that the filling in Boston Billows' pillow could be dangerous. Quote, Boston Billow's nursing pillow contains polybeads, the letter read. Such a filling has been found to be unsafe for use with infants and small children. Well, not long after, in January of 2004, Billow's received a call from the CPSC noting it had been tipped off by a competitor. Hmm. Of course, the CPSC wouldn't divulge the competitor's name. When asked if Bopico was notified the CPSC, the spokeswoman for Boppy said, uh, she declined to answer, but did say, there are a lot of pillow products out there. I don't know that you could pin it on just one company.
And so it goes on to say that if a company agrees to a recall, it meets with the CPSC staff to negotiate the next steps, notifying retailers to pull the product from the shelves, retrieving the defective items, tracking repairs, and issuing refunds. The CPSC does publish a press release, but the company is responsible for all other costs, which can range from $10,000 to $10 million. Now, if the company in question doesn't want to cooperate with the CPSC, guess what? They get forced into it. So really, this is just a tyrannical organization running roughshod over the rights of uh, product providers to sell a product that they want to their con- to the consumer. If you know, if if you buy a dangerous product that somehow harms you or your family, you can sue the manufacturer. Right. You, we don't need this organization. This organization exists to protect the big boys at the expense of everybody else, as is typical with government. We'll be back tomorrow night online. In the meantime, freetalklive.com. 1-800-Flowers.com wants to remind you Thanksgiving is November the 23rd. Try the Harvest Glow centerpiece from 1-800-Flowers, either as a gift or to decorate your table this Thanksgiving. The small is $49.99 and the large is just $59.99. Call, click, or come in for fresh flowers and gourmet gifts delivered same day, any day. Use code FTL to save 10% on your next order. That's FTL for a 10% savings. 1-800-Flowers.com, your florist of choice for the holidays.